What is up, everybody? And welcome back to the Mile Higher Podcast, episode 27. Yeah, we are super excited for today's episode, man. Yeah, we actually All week, really we've are. been just like... We say that every time, I feel like. We're always excited. We are. We're, we're always excited to get behind the mic and lay a few uh, podcast tracks down for you. <laughs> <laughs> Mixing no. it up in the studio. <laughs> That's right. No, but for real, this is going to be such an interesting one. And we're really excited to talk about this because we've been talking about this nonstop in our house. Yes. Since and we finished this. Exactly. No, that's literally your spot on with that. We just finished the staircase, a docuseries on Netflix, and mm-hmm. it was a it's probably one of the most intriguing true crime cases I think yeah. I've seen in a while. Because mm-hmm. it really makes you think. It really makes you think yeah. about all scenarios here. So today we are. It's basically the case of Kathleen Peterson, the death of her mysterious death, and it involves her uh, husband Michael Peterson heavily. So it's very interesting. There's lots of twists and turns and and just crazy shit coming out of all angles. Pretty much, it's it's a pretty wild <laughs> yeah, one. That it, sounded really weird. <laughs> That did kind of sound weird. Sorry. No, but this is going to be such an interesting one because there's going to be a really, uh, I think there's going to be a big mix in opinions from you guys on whether you think Michael Peterson is guilty or innocent. And I'm actually really interested to see what the reaction from you guys will be on this podcast if you haven't seen The Staircase. Because I know some of you have seen it, but some of you don't have time to commit yourselves to 13 it episodes. Is. It's lengthy. <laughs> yeah, well, they literally included everything. Every breath the judge took, like every moment of everything. It was so annoying at one point. I got really annoyed. Well, there's just like lots of like just time where you just watch cars driving around it's like we don't need to see that like they i mean they wanted to milk it for as much as they could that's for sure i think they could have fit it into six episodes comfortably uh maybe eight max but geez it's a lot so we thought we'd you know repackage this for you explain it to you and explain to you some of the things that the documentary left out a lot of things a lot of things (laughs) because this documentary in my opinion and i think a lot of you probably feel the same it is very biased because michael peterson had a pretty big role in getting this whole thing together the movie yeah and and as we find out later he was uh dating the editor actually of this movie which is also interesting they don't include that in the movie which which i would just want to say like we don't we're not saying that we think the documentary is biased or that the director that directed it is biased towards (laughs) him i don't think it is he said it's not either so well, I think it is. Okay. I disagree. Well, I, I think we'll it was see. very biased, and I the whole time felt like I was barely getting any of the other side. It was mostly the defense, mostly Michael's story. The cameras are on him most of the time. There's barely any influence from her family. There's a lot of missing elements, I thought. So in my opinion, it was a little biased. But I'm curious to see what you guys think about this case, because if you haven't seen it, I feel like a lot of... I mean, I asked people if you thought, you know, Michael is guilty or innocent on Twitter and 64% said guilty, 36% said innocent. And I was curious about, for those of you who haven't seen it and all you will know about this case is what we're about to tell you, what you think, because I'm seeing so many responses saying, I just really liked him or I really felt like he was innocent or he seems innocent. And, you know, sometimes seeming like you're innocent isn't enough to actually make you innocent. So this, yeah, I mean, it. not only that, but this, this case really highlights the, um, 
just all of the missteps of the criminal justice yeah, system. Yeah, we'll be talking and, a lot about that. Too. And and it's just so apparent that there's definitely corruption and lying and you know mm-hmm. people that are supposed to be giving us the truth, the facts about a case and the evidence and presenting only the evidence and right. with no personal bias. That does not right. happen in the real world. So this case really has a huge uh, role to play in that whole thing. Because well, it's like a lot of the people that are saying he's innocent are saying because they feel bad for him or they feel like he's too nice or he seems like a good dad or whatever, whatever have you. But like you just said, not in the real world, you don't get to see all that side of someone. And Michael got to load this documentary up with clips of his family crying and the sob story. And just, I feel like it tugs on your heartstrings. And that's people's, a lot of people's reasoning for why they think he didn't do it. But some of you are like, wait, what is it? What are we talking about? (laughs) What are you guys even talking about? You crazy I'm like, just really excited if you can't tell. Yes, we're, we, we're ready to get into this. So, and the last note I'm going to mention before we, we talk about something else real quick is that this is a long ordeal. This is 16 years of Michael Peterson's life that is captured in the staircase. And, you know, we're going to attempt to digest all of that and hopefully give you a much shorter version of events that still has all of the details from both sides. That's the thing. We're looking at this from a totally neutral standpoint. I'm looking at the evidence today, and then at the end, we'll decide, you know, if our opinions about this have changed. So yeah. it's going to be a good one. But um, didn't you, you wanted to mention something about um, Monk, right? Oh, I just wanted to mention them because I noticed I was wearing a Monk shirt today. <laughs> so, Convenient. I know. <laughs> I didn't purposely wear it, I swear. But I did want to shout out Monk. As always, this isn't sponsored. This is just, I'm an affiliate of Monk. But I think you guys, everyone should be uh trying out monk it is so good for relaxation meditation pretty much everything what do you find you like monk for it's just the I like to um, use them it really the because like i don't i feel like i don't smell the world that much like it's you don't smell the world <laughs> that probably sounds really weird but yeah no like when i'm outside i just don't really smell much yeah you know unless it's something very potent or something very you know, pungent or whatever. So, so you like the outdoor blends? Yeah, and these Feel just give nature. me that exactly the nature blend. So I'm I'm using mountain right now, and it's just giving me that like like mm-hmm. mountain air smell. Yeah, my favorite my nose, is forest blasted. from the real. It's called the um, Feel Nature Collection. There's ocean, forest, and mountain, and it really does capture the essence of wherever they say it is. I love the forest one, yeah, especially really for for some reason the forest one just like totally calms anxiety for me. Like, I can step away in the bathroom, take a hit of this. Well, not take a hit. That sounds really weird. Yeah, you're not taking it's hits It's just of essential monk. oil for those of you who don't even know what it yes. is. I'm not even telling you. It's a, it's a diffuser. It's, it's different types of essential oils into different blended um, portable units. And these can be recycled. You can actually send them back to Monk. They pay for shipping back. They'll recycle them for That's you. That's dope. Um, yeah, but, I mean, they have all different types of blends. One of my favorite is Happy. It has fennel, thyme, and vanilla. Um, I just really love them. So I wanted to give them a little shout out. So is there a discount on them? Like, what's yes, 10% off with the link in the description box. Sweet. And there's a giveaway going on. So I will post that below too. Awesome. Well, definitely check out Monk. We, we do enjoy our Monk products. That's for sure. I use them throughout the whole podcast. That's why we always have some down here. <laughs> and then our next sponsor, the lava lamp company, please sponsor us. <laughs> What is their company name? Lava Lamp. It's just Lava Lamp Company. 
Lavalamp.com. Yo, if you're lava looking for a lava company, lamp, hit us up. It's very slow to heat up, <laughs> as you can tell. Okay. <laughs> or you're imagining. All right. Anything else to cover before we dive into this this beast of a case? All right. Let's do it. No, you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Without further ado, this is the story of the staircase. And the way that this story begins is late at night, around 2.40 a.m. in the early morning of Sunday, December 9th, 2001, an emergency operator in Durham, North Carolina, receives a call from local resident Michael Peterson. Isn't it Durham? Durham. Yeah. Did I say Durham? Yeah, Durham. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sure, all the North Carolinans. <laughs> oh my gosh, one of my friends just moved to North Carolina. If anyone's out there, I'm going to totally go out there spoiled eventually. the mood I was trying to set for this. Oh, sorry. I was trying to create suspense, and then you called out my Durham. I know. Durham. I just love North, North Carolina. Carolina. I'm excited to go soon. I'm probably going to go this year. Hopefully. Sounds good. But <laughs> so random. I'm but sorry. dispatch early in the morning around 2:40 a.m. receives a call from Michael Peterson, who is notedly a 58 year old man. And a Vietnam veteran. And here is his phone call to 911. Durham 911, where's your emergency? Oh, 1810 Cedar Street, please. What's wrong? My wife had an accident. She's still breathing. What kind of accident? She's still on the stairs. She's still breathing. Please come. Is she conscious? What? Is she no. conscious? No, she's not conscious. Please. Okay. How many stairs did you what? fall down? Huh? How many stairs? stairs? How many stairs? Calm down, sir. Uh, Calm down. No, that was 15, 20. I don't know. Please, get somebody here right away. Please. Okay, somebody's dispatching the ambulance while I ask you questions. It's it's, it's awful. It's a forced kill. Okay? Please, please. So, Mm. what do you think of that? Just, just. Just like right off the bat. Hearing that. Yeah, like if all of us are hearing this for the first time, what are your thoughts about it? What do you notice about it? I thought he got really sketched out when she asked him how many stairs. Like he was like, "What? What?" And like obviously, he just is, he's dealing with some crazy situation, so obviously he's going to sound panicked, but he almost seemed like a little like taken aback or like thrown off and confused. Definitely um, acting surprised. Yeah, and then he's like, "15, 20, I don't know. Get someone here right away." Like I don't know. For me, it definitely Sounds a little didn't bit feel like authentic. somebody might be acting a little yeah. bit I mean, on the other hand, but he could be totally shocked. Yeah. And he's never walked in, never expected to see this scene as he's said it. And he's just blown away. Can't even like make sense of what's going on, which it does sound like there's desperation for sure. He's breathing heavy. But I don't know. To me, it's just he sounds like. He's he's not he's like. Trying to create. A scenario you know he's trying to create this description and I don't know it's 240 so if you didn't figure out she fell down the stairs now do you want me to talk about the stairs yet (laughs) yeah yeah Um, I just think it's interesting to note because I'm sure a lot of you are like okay paint the picture in my head I haven't seen the documentary Um, he said 15 20 stairs it is not that many stairs that she ended up falling down you know we find out later yeah or we think we we pretty much think and know and josh and i have spent a lot of time on our staircase trying to figure out how this would work and it really doesn't make 
a whole lot of sense. And that's really where all of the confusion comes in with this case is she didn't follow that many steps. She wasn't going down the stairs. She was going up the stairs and fell right. backwards. Right. I mean, we'll explain all of that more in depth, but um, it was kind of like in their kitchen. Where's the staircase? It was go. I know it was going into the kitchen, right? Or towards the kitchen. No, well, it's like it like kind of curves and goes up. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of like, alcove. It's like a there's a little L and shape, like and up. it's yeah, it's it's um kind of dark and it's got kind of a little turn to it at the bottom, almost it's right, got an angled bottom. Right. Yeah, it kind of has like a couple of those little wedge staircases, but a straight staircase going up, up to the upper upstairs. And so, they think she only fell down a couple of steps. Right, and so Michael's calling, and in in front of him is. Kathleen laying on the ground with um complete I think she's on her is she I think she's on her face laying down on her stomach I thought she's on her back or is she on her back I can't remember which which one it is but um because you don't ever you definitely get to see a little bit of it in the documentary but um yeah it's I think it's the back because that's where her injuries were but just blood everywhere I mean there's a lot of blood so it would make you think that something just from immediate first look at these crime scene photos, you would definitely think that a murder happened here. There was there was some type of blunt force trauma because there's blood spatter on the walls. There's blood, huge pool of blood on the ground. Yeah, she's on her. She's laying on her back. With her, her back, head. right. So at the, in the actual crime scene photo, since we're not going to like put that on the screen, that's so disrespectful. I'll link it but for, for just the, you know, for the crime scene part of this. She is on her back with her lower, lowest, her lower head. Sorry. <laughs> it's hard to explain Take your time. this. Yeah. She's, she's almost completely out of the stairwell. Her head is on the lowest step, the very edge of it. And then she's kind of got her hands out in front of her on her body. And she's just kind of spread out with her legs open towards the outside of the staircase. So it's like she fell down and kind of slid out of the staircase. Yeah. Unless he moved her. Well, it's weird because when you when you're looking at it, I mean, all of us have probably slipped down the stairs, especially if you have carpet right. stairs coming down. You know, sometimes you slip and you go back and in the picture, it looks like she had slipped backwards and like smacked her head going down. But they're saying that she was going up. So she somehow fell right. back and then landed on and then like hit the wall or something mm-hmm. that went down and then ended up on her back. And she's kind of laying like in the like a. Almost like a mummy position with her legs yeah. spread out. And, and her... see, that position, doesn't it seem more likely that she fell down, like she was walking downward? I'm confused yeah. about why the defense didn't try to say she was walking down, because then you could almost understand how she would hit head, 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 and then slide out. Yeah, exactly. Um, But it doesn't make sense that she was walking up. And Josh and I kept trying to walk up our stairs and try to, like, slip, and what would we do? Your instinct is to fall forward. Right mm-hmm. when you try to when you slip on a step or you right. miss if you're the going step, up, you would put you're gonna your hands fall down forward. You're not going to like fly backwards like you slipped on a banana peel. And I end just up on the ground. I, I still struggle to see how that could happen from going up the stairs to where you like all of a sudden just like. I mean, yeah. I guess she's wearing socks. Yeah, I mean, so she no, she's, she's not. She I, don't, wearing... I think she's barefoot. That looks barefoot to me. Look, you can see her ankles. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. She's barefoot, dude. She's that makes barefoot, this even so that makes weirder. It even weirder, yeah. And when if you saw this crime scene, you guys, you would look at it and you would not have the first your your first reaction would not be like, okay, this person fell down the stairs. You'd be like, what the actual fuck happened? There's so much blood, blood all over the walls, blood all over the stairs, the floor, everywhere. It's really bad. 
like blood had to have been like spurting out like from multiple uh, exit wounds. Like totally. It's like yeah. it looks like somebody either got shot or stabbed. It's a terrible scene and for there's someone like who blood fell everywhere. The stairs. So that's what Michael's calling about. And one of the things that I wanted to note about his 911 call is he says she's still breathing. Yes. And a lot of people who have analyzed him and his voice and his body language, because a lot of people try to like, you know, there's ways to figure out someone's being deception or deceptive it from their yeah. body language. Yep. And Looking to the left is a big one. What they say. And a couple things is she's still breathing is a very odd choice of words when you think about the situation, but not totally yeah. uncomfortable. She's still breathing. How because do you know? Because it's kind of like. She it's almost dead. talking as if she, you know she's going to die. She's still breathing as of right now. Right. Well, it's it's a great setup for him if if he was trying to set this up to say she's still breathing on the nine one one to make them think that she's still alive. It fits. It helps fit his narrative together. The narrative of the accident, the fall. Right. But minutes later, after he called the police, um, the police show up. And in the Peterson's house, this is a huge mansion, guys. This is uh, 10,000 square feet. It's got a big entrance hall, six bedrooms, and two staircases. A curved front staircase and a servant staircase, which is narrow and steep. So is it the servant staircase that she fell down? Yes, it's okay. the servant staircase that she fell down, not the main one. Okay. So, but it, again, it's narrow and steep, and it is. It looks it's pretty very... steep. It looks pretty steep. Mm-hmm. And very narrow and closed in. So at the bottom of the staircase, as we've just been describing for you, is Michael's wife, 48-year-old Kathleen Peterson. She was breathing as recently as 10 minutes ago. She's definitely not breathing now, Michael said. Peterson's house, say the police, is now a crime scene, and it's a scene they will analyze in great detail. Here are some of the things they will discover. There are 10,000 splatters of blood on the walls and there's a lot of blood like I like I, I would show you guys this like I'd put it yeah. in the video, but I think it's too graphic to put in. And I just I don't video. think I never put in. Yeah, like any type of picture. Well, not of everybody dead body, wants to even see if that it's either. not graphic. Well, it's just it's really not respectful to her. Yeah. No. You know, would you if you died? Would you want people to like if I, I was mean, murdered? I would. Yeah. Well, yeah, but not everyone wants to see it, I guess. Yeah. No, not yeah. everybody wants that blood. Yeah. Definitely look. I mean, you have to look at it to truly analyze the crime scene. So, but it's just sad. It's just so sad. You know, it is. It's yes. I mean, obviously, we're going to be talking about this about Michael mostly because he's the main, you know, suspect in this case. But, um, you know, Kathleen was a innocent person that died, whether it was, you know, yeah, natural or not. Right. So, so she is. Um, lying in a pool of blood and and one of the notable things in in the very beginning of this case is that when para paramedics arrived they were expecting to still be with like a breathing body that was still you know warm and still you know either recently deceased or still alive as michael described on the phone but when they arrived the blood was dry around her almost almost dry not completely like cr like crispy but like it was dry yeah. Blood had soaked through the upper parts of Kathleen's pale cotton trousers. There's also a bloody footprint from one of Michael Peterson's uh, shoes lower down on the back of the left trouser leg, which is very odd. That is odd. And apparently there's also smeared blood 
and a pool of congealing blood underneath and around the body. Kathleen has seven skull-deep gashes on the back of her scalp. The skull itself is not fractured, but there is evidence of red neurons in the brain suggesting that Kathleen died of blood loss, which would have taken 90 minutes up to two hours. And these like um, lacerations on her head, that is something, these gashes, definitely something to, to look up if you are interested in this case. You, pretty, you probably got to see that picture to really make a judgment on this because it's a very, very strange lines, injury. Yeah. yeah, bunch of lines. Bunch of lines, like gashes. Lacerations, so mm -hmm. yeah, big deep scratches on the skull. Some of the cartilage in Kathleen's neck has been fractured. In her hand, she holds a clump of her own hair pine needles and tiny microscopic feathers which we'll talk about later yeah there's also blood in the crouch of the shorts michael peterson the is wearing. <laughs> the crouch crouch the crotch. crotch yes sorry <laughs> crotch crouch blood in the crotch of michael peterson's shorts and it looks like they had been recently splashed with water and when they spray aluminol a chemical that makes blood remnants glow blue on the kitchen floor, the police will see that someone appears to have tracked and then cleaned up bloody footprints leading to the sink and the washing machine. The evidence uh. at the scene will suggest to police that Michael Peterson killed his wife. Not an accidental fall down the stairs, as Michael suggests. So that was one of the the key things that that's why they suspicion jumped on him. Because of the, yeah, they barely talked about that. Yep, they barely, they barely cover that up but all i literally sudden, forgot about it until we just now read it that that even happened i don't even think they touched on it or maybe it was really brief very brief it was for fast, 13 yeah. episodes you think you would have focused on that that is like the main reason that they were able to start well that's the know, thing if you think him. about it if you show up if you know police show up to an accident yeah usually it takes longer than i feel like the time it took for them to like all of a sudden make michael a suspect which mm -hmm. The cons you know, the flip side, there's a conspiracy with all of this that, like, kind of the police were setting him up, basically. Why, though? Right. Which which we'll get into later, but... Dude, that's so loud. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're, like, shaking your drink. Shaking my drink. <laughs> but it is interesting that the police immediately name him primary suspect and arrest him um, that same day. Or that early morning, essentially. So when talking about the, the Staircase docuseries, we're, we'll cover uh, some of the things that happened in it because they're the main parts of this case. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that you definitely just need to watch in, you know, further detail on the uh, the staircase. OK, so this is good. This, this kind of explain, explains his version of events from yes. that night. OK. Yes. So Michael Peterson's in his house and he's telling his version of what happened the night he found his wife lying in a pool of blood. And he's very calm. Yes, he is. It's very weird. When they went to interview him, it seemed like it had been, I thought it had been maybe five, eight years by the time that they came, just because he seemed so removed. Right. That's the. He seemed like, oh, matter of, here it is. Yeah, whatever. Like, I just don't get it. I, if that was you, I would barely be able to talk. Like, even if, oh, especially if a documentary came, I had to, like, show exactly what happened. That's oh, so traumatic. Right. And that that will be one of the main a lot, you know, a lot of people that think he's guilty 
you know, specifically refer to his demeanor and his behavior, the way he acted, the things he said, because he does just seem kind of nonchalant about a lot of stuff, especially mm -hmm. when recounting what what they did and what happened to police. And he says he watched a movie with his wife, which ended around 11 p.m. when they went outside to drink a glass of wine on the terrace. Then they moved from the terrace to the pool area, which is a significant walk. It's a big garden. This is a, a mansion we're talking about. Yeah, it's so really big. lots of land. And there's also a wooded area with mature trees around this property. And in Peterson's account, they walk past the trees and settle by the pool. Bear in mind, it's late and it's December and it's 53 degrees Fahrenheit outside. So it's definitely not like warm, like Sometime most people would think cool. Yeah. Yeah. Around midnight. So pretty late, which on the flip side, you know, not totally out of the ordinary, totally crazy that somebody would be out late yeah, at night. Yeah, it's not like it was snowing, but... You know, 53 degrees is like perfect temp for me, so... But... Yes, well, we're polar bears, so. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he was out there in shorts and a t-shirt, have you? Like, Yeah. So... And so, many people that live in this area where they live would say that this is not necessarily, like, in the comfort zone of other people. And the meteorologists, the local meteorologists would say that. And after a while, says Peterson, he never gives a specific time, but Kathleen went inside because she, quote unquote, had a conference call in the morning and Kathleen was concerned about her work. She was a vice president at Nortel, a huge tech company in terrible trouble. Why were they just like, yeah, up? just like they were going, you know, bankrupt or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Just business was not not good. And that was the last time I saw Kathleen alive, says Peterson. And this is in, in the staircase. And he pauses and then says, no, she was alive when I found her, but barely. He said uh. that. Barely. Interesting. Meanwhile, we wonder what exactly Michael Peterson was doing between midnight and around 2.40 a.m. What was he doing? So because he placed the call around 2.38? Yeah, it was 2.38 or 2.40 when, when he, he called. When he called 911. Yeah, so if it, the movie ended at eleven, how long was he outside? Right, he would there's have had to come two inside. hours at least that he was by himself with no account of where he was, and we never, he never explains where he was or what he was doing. That makes he says no he was. Sense. He actually does say he was outside by the pool smoking his pipe, but for yeah, two hours. That's ridiculous. That is insanely stupid. And you'd think my wife is coming back wasn't she coming back like she went in stairs to get a drink didn't he say she was making a drink or something yeah i think I she think... was doing something in the kitchen and then she was going to come back so he was expecting her to come back yeah yeah and if your wife doesn't come back at midnight aren't you, you think gonna after go like... fucking check on her right and you'd call 911 right away especially if someone was breathing and still barely alive, obviously you right. call immediately. So he's lying somewhere. There's there's definitely a hole here, a huge hole of that window of time yeah. where we literally don't know where he was, what he was doing exactly. We have no proof, no alibi of what he was up to for two hours. And that has gone kind of untested, I think, through this whole thing. Yeah, that's really weird. And it's really a weird. huge thing because it's like, dude, what the hell? Like you just mm -hmm. described like, if somebody falls down the stair like they the pool again is is pretty far away from the the house and they actually tested this out in 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 yeah. the film where they're like to hear. see if you could hear her saying help from inside the house okay and he's out by the pool okay josh if you and i were chilling on our back deck and i was like yo i'm gonna go upstairs and get a monk pen yeah you, you'd expect me to fucking come back with a monk pen 
not to just be gone for two and then just continue smoking your pipe for two hours. Oh, over two hours. He said 11, around 11, they went outside. So what was 1130 by the time he's smoking? Then he doesn't call 911 till 238. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. Two I'm hours. Sorry. That is so At weird. Least. That sounds like enough time for him to clean up switch things around and clearly there's evidence that he did they found possible shoe marks whatever going to the washing machine in the so, sink so was how that, fucking convenient those two places that's the two places you'd need to go i think i think the blood like the fact that the blood is and not that blood takes that long to dry or to you know congeal into a you know a stagnant state but dude i mean they were like we can't do anything she's been dead for a while at least 90 minutes yeah so what the hell i mean <sighs> if your wife has a fall you wait 90 minutes like what are you waiting 90 minutes for to call the oh so he said he waited to call or he had hadn't found her did he say either way he hadn't found her until two something or he waited to call he waited to call let's see hang on let me go back up I don't think he waited to call. I think he he's according to his story. Because why would you wait to call? Well, he said she was breathing as recently breathing. as ten minutes ago. As ten minutes ago, who doesn't take that is bullshit. I'm sorry, my bullshit radar is going off like crazy. What on earth? If someone is literally dying in front of you, if if my husband was dying on the ground and was still breathing, was like barely alive, I wouldn't be like, hang on, babe, I'll call. You know, I'll call nine one one when I have a second. Or no. like, I'll call eventually. Are you fucking kidding me? You walk in, you see that, you call immediately. Don't tell me anyone would do anything else unless something is wrong. That doesn't make sense to me. No, it it really doesn't. It doesn't make any sense at all. Not at all. Because like, even even if you look at it from like, he's an innocent perspective, it just doesn't make sense. It's like, you really just weren't there at all. You didn't hear anything. You would you? And here's the thing. Some people say, and Michael says he just like fell asleep, was dozed off. Maybe he just dozed off after Outside. she went in and mm. she never came back until he so if that's woke the case, up. Two why didn't he say later. I dozed off? Right. You'd think you would, you know, explain why you were outside from 11 something to 2 a.m. in 53 degree weather in December. Yeah, it's doesn't make sense. It's dude. fishy, man. Doesn't make something, sense. Something something smells fishy. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and if you think that's like starting to like throw your mind through a loop, yeah. now get this. So before we go any further with Kathleen Peterson's death, let's talk about one of Michael Peterson's family friends who was also found dead at the bottom of a staircase. Now and when this is... you hear this, you're sorry, I didn't no, know if you were gonna no, talk please. again. <laughs> but when you hear this, I think a lot of you will start to shift. I once I heard this, I was just like, oh, my God, this is this is too crazy. It doesn't help. No, it really it doesn't. doesn't help. And the crazy thing about it is he hid it from his his law. Attorney. Yeah. He hid it from his attorneys. They were like, what the hell? We have this whole other thing to deal with. Yeah, literally. So. So here's the deal with this. This other death. So before Michael Peterson met Kathleen in 1986, he lived in Germany, actually, with his first wife, Patricia, or Patty Peterson, who was an elementary school teacher at an American military base there. The couple had two sons, Clayton and Todd, who are um, his biological kids. And while overseas, Patty and Michael befriended a woman named Elizabeth Ratliff, who was a mother of two young girls 
whose husband was killed while on a military mission. Because like we talked about, Michael was in the military. But one morning in November 1985, their dear friend Elizabeth Ratliff was found dead at the bottom of a flight of stairs. And the evening before she died, Michael had been at her house helping put her daughters Margaret and Martha to bed. Hmm. Which I understand like, you know, I'm trying to think of like from his point of like Michael's, if I was in Michael's shoes and I had a good friend who's who died and his wife had kids like would I try to like step in and help especially like that there could have been a situation where that would that would make sense so for sure because some people are saying that that's like weird that he was like helping out with her kids and stuff anyway when he had his own kids and his own wife Mm -hmm. Ratliff was originally thought to have died from falling down the staircase until of course Kathleen Peterson was discovered dead in a very similar manner 15 years later. Very similar matter. The staircases are actually, they uh, are a little different, but they look pretty similar. The shape, oh, general shape of them is the same. It is. It's it's eerily similar. There's a lot of similar characteristics to it. And the only reason that this even got brought up is because Rat, Elizabeth Ratliff's sister, Margaret Blair, when she heard of Kathleen's death, she actually called the detective working on the case and said, are you aware that the same thing happened to Margaret and Martha's mother and Michael Peterson was the last one to be with her? This is Elizabeth Ratliff's sister. Mm-hmm. Because that that's weird. <laughs> and okay, so Elizabeth Ratliff was found at the bottom of the staircase too, obviously, in very similar condition to Kathleen. I mean, with the amount of blood, yeah, the fact that it just, it just doesn't head. look like a, a crime scene. It doesn't look like a fall down the stairs right. is what i'm trying to say too bloody in my opinion it's yeah like, too bloody oh my god and it again wasn't that big of a staircase it is it's and and i think i have some stuff in here about her injury specifically but the main thing to note is like the um actual lacerations on elizabeth ratliff's head were similar in length and size yeah. to to Kathleen Peterson's uh, injuries. really weird because Kathleen Peterson's injuries are very unique, very odd, and can't be completely explained. Right. So for that to happen twice is weird. And they actually they actually ruled this a accidental death mm. due to a, she had some type of uh, medical condition with her brain that caused her anemia. head injuries. To, she had a hemorrhage of some sort, a cerebral hemorrhage. I think I they think. said she had anemia, and that's why she was bleeding so much. But then, yeah, she, she yeah, had, she had some aneurysm. medical things. Yeah, she, aneurysm, right. That's what they thought. Right. But, but they're actually they re-examining the case um, as a homicide. But basically, Elizabeth Ratliff, after she died, the Peterson family, so Michael, adopted Margaret and Martha and moved back to the U.S. with them. Adopted her kids and then left the country. Right. Interesting. And when Michael and Patty's marriage began falling apart in the mid 80s, the girls were the ones responsible for introducing Michael to his next wife, Kathleen. Actually, the sisters were playmates with her daughter, Caitlin, who lived down the street in Durham, North Carolina. In 1987, the family moved in together and became one big happy family, as they say. Michael Peterson. So he is a former newspaper columnist, a columnist. And he also wrote several novels, including the popular 1990s World War II era book, A Time of War, which actually garnered some interest from a Hollywood studio at one time. And according to NBC, he would have gotten more than a half a million dollar advance from his publisher for for one of his books. He and Kathleen 
who we noted earlier was a telecommunications company executive, raised the kids in their sprawling mansion. Peterson said in 2006, we lived together for 14 years and we were happy every one of those years when talking about him and Kathleen later on. So he always described his relationship with Kathleen as like picture perfect. Yeah. The family was picture perfect. There was no problems. It was mm -hmm. always good. It was one big happy family is literally how they wanted the, everybody to see them as. Right. Which we will find out later is not exactly true. All right. So back to Kathleen Peterson. Again, she was pronounced dead on December 9, 2001. And earlier in that evening, um, Peterson said, this is a more detailed account of what happened um, with some more detail in it for you. But he says that the couple had eaten dinner, watched the movie America's Sweethearts, and then sat out by the pool. Because, of course, he's getting interviewed multiple times about this. So let's see if his story changes. He claims Kathleen went to bed while he stayed outside to smoke a pipe. Michael's defense claimed, and Michael okayed the basically theory that Kathleen, after drinking some wine and taking a Valium, tried to walk up the poorly lit stairwell when she fed and then bled to death. And this is the basically when she fell, the version of events. Yes, I think she said fed. She fed. I was confused <laughs> for a second. Sorry. Fell. Did I say fed? I, I'm pretty sure unless what I the? literally made that up. <laughs> we'll have to find out when we listen back. Oh my god. All right. I thought you said and then she fed down the staircase. <laughs> Maybe I didn't hear you right. I don't think so. All right. So when Detective Art Holland of the Durham police arrived at their home, the scene immediately struck him as suspicious. He says Kathleen was splayed out on the floor, her head resting on the landing of, of a back staircase. Splayed is a good word for it. Yes. That's what I was trying to say earlier. No, that's a perfect word to describe. She was splayed out on yeah. the floor. Police also saw a bottle of wine and two glasses on the kitchen counter, neatly arrayed, implying perhaps the couple had passed a relaxing evening at home sipping wine together. Except Kathleen's fingerprints weren't on either glass. So the defense just said that they were drinking some wine when she took a Valium, basically saying that she was kind of like fucked up. Mm -hmm. When she went walking up the stairs slipped and then fell But mm. they weren't able to find fingerprints on her glass. So maybe she had you hadn't know, picked it up yet hadn't picked it up or it was cleaned already possibly ah Because mm. he had that I mean, I'm just saying from the perspective if he's guilty He had that time that extra time to really clean everything up. He's You know and get it pristine condition before he calls the authorities. It is odd to if he did it to do the same thing that you did to someone else because I feel like that makes you look more guilty But at the same time you'd kind of know from experience how to deal with it, right? So I can't decide if that'd be like a smart move. It or could not go either way trying to commit a murder could go either way I think because Well, he did it in a different country So maybe he thought that would leave he would leave yeah. that behind in the past and no well, one would clearly. ever know about that. you'd fucking bring that up dude to your attorneys if you if like why would he have left that right, out right he was hoping no one would find out about that and if her sister hadn't called it's possible no one would have found out right he was trying to hide it though and and the whole and elizabeth ratliff death played i think a heavy role in in michael's how uh, can it not it's too weird this doesn't happen like, I've never heard of someone falling down the stairs and getting those types of injuries and dying. Not only once, but twice when you're the only other person there. That's weird. 
I think that is too weird, actually. Like, it makes this, it was weird he, just He was to a witness itself. to two falling deaths down the stairs. Yeah, come What on. are the chances? Like, what's There's the stats? None. Can somebody crunch the numbers on that for me? And if you were, and you've experienced this before, you'd say that immediately. Like, this is so crazy. Right. I, this has the happened to me before. Thing, right. I've seen someone, you know? You don't just, like, not mention it to anyone. No, that would be the, that is odd. the. No, exactly. That's totally the natural response to that. So Kathleen, she, she, like we just mentioned, she, we're not sure if she actually drank wine or not, but when the medical examiner later checked, they determined that her blood alcohol content was so low, she would have passed a breathalyzer test if she had taken one. So it could be low for a number of reasons, but it's also just shows that chances are she wasn't like drunk, you know, at least that you could rule that out. Like she hadn't drank she wasn't a like lot disaster. if she had at all. Yeah. So not that much longer later on December 13, 2001, Kathleen Peterson is buried in Maplewood Cemetery. So she's she's buried within a week. Mm-hmm. And on December 18, 2001, Michael Peterson, who has yet not yet been charged in his wife's death, hires defense attorney David Rudolph. Fucking David Rudolph, man. You know what? I have to say, even though like sometimes he'd really annoy me because I felt like they he's were a damn good attorney. He's a really good attorney and it's hard to be a defense attorney. I mean, I would I would find it so morally tough because at the end of the day, this is about Michael. And yes, we're all making it a determined termination on Michael. But it's Kathleen Peterson, who's really the big issue here and who everyone should keep in mind first when thinking of right. this. Yeah, totally. Um, But yeah, David Rudolph is incredible. Dude, he, I mean, he's really good at his fucking job. He is. He's very good. And he's been in a lot of high profile cases. And, and I didn't actually know this, but he was the attorney who helped former Carolina Panther Ray Carruth avoid the death penalty in 2001 for his role in the murder of his pregnant girlfriend. And he's actually wow. done, does this a lot of helping people avoid the death penalty. Like he's known he as like a, yeah. the guy to get you, get you get off you kind out. of like, he's the one <laughs> that sounded really bad <laughs> the guy to get you <laughs> okay. off. Oh my God. That, Oh, I mean the guy to get you off of death row. Death row. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he's, he's Michael through all of the resources that he had, Towards his defense team. That's a big thing to note here. Yeah. Because he had money apparently somewhere and he got the best attorney, the best team. He had experts, all this in the in the staircase. They show you get to meet all these guys and private investigator. He had all these different things to yeah. do their own sort of investigation. How much did he spend? Like close to half a mil on his defense? Oh, yeah. It was easily up to a mil, I think. Mm. By the end of it. If you have money, man. You can't always do that, though. Like if there's, you know, there's so many people out there who actually don't commit crimes, but it looks like they did or they're in just a shitty situation. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. can't afford to right. hire anyone. They go to jail. Yeah, it's it's it, basically the criminal justice system is, is if you commit a crime, your best option is to shut your mouth, not say anything and get the best attorney you can. And that's like yeah. the best thing you can do for yourself. Yeah. In any type of situation for anybody is just mm-hmm. do that because otherwise you're going to get, you know. Not all the time, but most times completely screwed over. So on January 14, 2002, Michael Peterson surrenders to police after a grand jury indicts him for first degree murder, which is interesting. So they felt like they had enough to go after him for first degree murder, Mm -hmm. which it kind of looks like they do. Mm -hmm. 
On February 18, 2002, Kathleen's autopsy is released to the public, and the medical examiner determined that Kathleen had been bludgeoned to death and suffered seven deep lacerations on the scalp. The blood around the victim was mostly dry, meaning that she'd been lying at the bottom of the stairs for a long time. The district attorney, Judge uh, Jim Harden, said she was there for around two hours. The state's blood spatter expert claimed that blood droplets around the stairwell were made by the striking of a weapon, which in this case ends up being a blow poke, which we'll talk about later. But and the Petersons actually had a blow poke, which the police could not find in December 2001. So at the scene at the scene, initially, there's no murder weapons if this was a murder of present at all. Well, that that timeline makes sense if she was there for two hours, like he said, sometime around 11, they go outside, whatever, they have a fight. It, it would make sense about two if they thought she was there for about two hours, that kind of lines up. Most definitely. He cleaned it up, got it ready, then fucking freaked out and called the police. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I'm just throwing out theories. No, that's good. That's good. So on May 10th, 2002, uh, the district attorney, Jim Harden, presents in court the autopsy of Elizabeth Ratliff, the mother of the Petersons' two adopted daughters who died in Germany in 1985. So that was a huge thing that people on Michael's side say was unfair to bring this in. But I don't... I think I it's think completely it's relevant. fair. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's completely fair and it's so weird Which when you the hear judge that it really so. really did, it really sets your mind like and maybe that's why they didn't want it obviously but this is too real and like when when someone else has died and you were the only person there and they died in the same way I am sorry that is evidence that is right and the reason why they bring Elizabeth Ratliff's autopsy reported in is because Michael Peterson was the last person to see Elizabeth alive mm-hmm. so right. That's why it's relevant. He was with her in her house on that late November night. A witness saw him leaving the scene. The next morning, Elizabeth's nanny arrived and noticed all the lights were on. She opened the door, and that's where they found Elizabeth Ratliff lying at the foot of the stairs. Blood had pulled around her at that point, just like in this case. There was also blood spattered on the walls by the staircase, and Michael Peterson in this particular case was not accused of her murder. Here's here here we go. So Elizabeth Ratliff had suffered from von Wildebrand disease, a condition a condition in which the blood doesn't clot normally, and okay. was believed to have died of a cerebral hemorrhage. So okay. that's what they thought of at first. Until 15 years later, now they're looking at it like, whoa, this could totally been a murder. Hmm. Apparently, before Elizabeth Ratliff died, Michael Peterson had been helping her with, or possibly looking after her finances for her. Not totally, oh. not totally unknown, which a lot of people have speculated on whether or not maybe Michael Peterson was having some sort of romantic or intimate relationship mm-hmm. with this woman, which wouldn't shock me. He says, absolutely not. Everybody says, absolutely not. But you might change your mind later. <laughs> yeah. But they for for this court, they actually um, or I'm sorry, Elizabeth Ratliff's body was flown um, from Germany, and she was actually ended up buried in a sealed coffin in Bay City, Texas. Because this is wild, but they actually exhume her body uh, a few months later for the court this court case. But on October 29, 2002, Caitlin Atwater, Kathleen's daughter, Kathleen Peterson's daughter, files a wrongful death lawsuit against her stepfather for $35 million. Mm. So pretty much, so he's, he got arrested at this point. So I think and they didn't include that in the documentary. No, no, they didn't include this at all. 
So this is Kathleen's biological daughter from day one mm -hmm. thinks Michael's guilty of murder. On February 18, 2003, Elizabeth Ratliff's two daughters, Margaret and Martha, who are now Michael Peterson's kids, give the DA's office permission to exhume their mother's body from her Texas grave because they thought by digging up her body and bringing it forward that it would help clear Michael's name, mm -hmm. which did not, it definitely did not help, I don't think. So they dug her up for another autopsy with the state's medical examiner, which the state medical examiner's report states that Elizabeth Ratliff died of blunt force trauma to the head and her injuries are similar to those sustained by Kathleen, according to prosecutors. So that's what they try to argue in, in court is that her injuries are so weirdly similar yeah. that we think it's relevant. I think it is. Rel I think they are absolutely right. This because is, they're so yeah. similar. If it wasn't similar, if it was like just some random other death and she bounced off a trampoline and died, it'd be different. But the fact she died the same way as Kathleen makes this relevant and yeah. important. It is absolutely. Here's what the here's what the pathologist actually the medical examiner uh, concluded were her were uh, Elizabeth Ratliff's injuries. Or actually, actually, this is sorry. That's Kathleen Peterson's. Um, I don't have hers. <laughs> So, I don't know if they have hers public, but yeah, I, I don't think read so. Read Kathleen's though. So here's Kathleen's injuries as reported by the her medical examiner. Her autopsy crazy. It definitely, I don't know. That really seals the deal for me. It was rough. The diagnosis from the uh, pathological office was multiple lacerations and avulsions, uh, posterior scalp. So on the top of her head, multiple contusions to the posterior scalp. Subarachnoid hemorrhage, slight to moderate, bilateral, parasigital, cerebral convexities. Good job. I would have butchered that. Early acute ischemic neuronal necrosis, fracture with hemorrhage, superior cornu of left thyroid cartilage, contusions of back, posterior arms, wrists, and hands, mm. which is, I think, perhaps, again, they left this out yeah. in the staircase. They multiple did. small abrasions and contusions to the face so injuries to the face injuries to the back posterior arms wrists and hands so what what that's so interesting because they really glazed over the autopsy in the in the documentary they, they did. really did but this was the whole autopsy the because they showed the crime scene photos to the jury mm -hmm. which i think was very convincing and yeah the, crime the medical crazy. examiner's testimony is extremely critical to the prosecution's case mm -hmm. for their um, argument for sure so in august 2003 in court the state argued that michael peterson's motive in part was connected to his sexuality the prosecutor believed kathleen had found 2000 images of naked men on her husband's computer plus an email exchange with a 26 year old male escort who first contacted him four months before the murder in whom Peterson was planning to meet. There has been no evidence presented that Kathleen Peterson ever found out about her husband's email relationship with this 26-year-old male escort, Brent Wolgamott, a 28-year-old North Carolina State University chemistry student from Raleigh. And between August 30th and September 5th, 2001, Wolgamott exchanged about 20 emails with Michael Peterson. And they were pretty vulgar. Oh, they were, yeah, they were. Which is okay. Which is I mean, whatever. whatever. Yeah. As long whatever. as it's two consenting people, then I don't really give a shit what they say or what they do. But 
for this. And I, I just, can I quickly say? Yeah. There is so much um, to be made about his sexuality in this and people thinking that he was it was unfair to bring that into it but i don't i just completely disagree i don't think it has anything to do with his sexuality doesn't matter what he's doing on the side it proves he was lying to his wife story yeah if we're in an intimate relationship and i find out you're you know hooking up with anyone that is going to ruin my trust with you and i'd be very upset so it's a reason it's definitely i think part of a motive has nothing to do with him being gay or them saying oh yeah he killed her because he was gay that's not it has nothing to do with that it's a secret he could have been selling lollipops secretly online and it would be a secret you know it doesn't matter what he was doing right but prosecutors basically argued that it's possible that his you know his homosexual relations that he was having may have been a motive because kathleen could have confronted him about it when she found this porn and these emails or told other people right she could have said i'm going to tell everyone because here's the here's the thing about this and this is why this is important and and relevant is because the defense kept using this idea that their relationship was like storybook fantasy like romantic relationship like totally happy totally like yeah sunshine roses like and it's not which again it could have been but but when this there's lying could going be a, a deal breaker, I think this could yeah. really throw a, a t- bomb into everything. We like, have no proof that she know that he was having a relationship with anyone outside of her relationship with him. And that as a woman or as anyone is upsetting to find out that someone has betrayed you like that. And he I think in the documentary tried to make it seem like, oh, I'm not sure if she completely knew. But, you know, it was an unsaid, unspoken thing. I'm sure, dude. I'm sure you want people to think that she kind of knew about it but i don't think she did he was keeping this secret from everyone right i think his brother knew michael's brother knew i think there was some people that knew about his bisexuality but mm-hmm. i think he was definitely i think in my personal opinion he was hiding it from her well but, i don't yeah and it doesn't matter if he was hiding his sexuality from her it just matters that he was hiding relationships from her that he wasn't faithful to her he was cheating on her yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's it doesn't matter who right. it was with or what and what and why or what his sexuality is. He was betraying his wife. Right. So do you think that it's possible that there was a deadly altercation due to her finding out about this? Do you think yes. that could have happened? Absolutely. Finding about finding out about his infidelity. If I got on out. the computer and found out you were cheating on me with whoever, I would fucking rage. Yeah. rage. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, there would be broken stuff all over the house. I would go crazy. It would yeah. be a fight. So, yeah, I do think that. Yeah. <laughs> He's looking at me like, no, better not do that <laughs> like, ever. <laughs> Virgo, delete my history. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, my God. I'd be shocked. We're with each other like 24 <laughs> 7. <laughs> okay. Anyway. All right. So, this guy, um, they actually brought this guy he was emailing with, Wolgamot, uh, into the courtroom. And it's in the staircase. It's actually fairly entertaining. Because yeah. he basically describes the service, uh, his services that he offers to the jurors, and he was rude as hell for being in a courtroom. Though at one he point was. he was like trying to make jokes and was like looking around for people to laugh at him. It was like, dude, right, not the place. Yeah, he was definitely kind of making light of it. Light of it, I think. Yeah. Which everybody was laughing at, like one point it looked like because he was like, 
I know deadly. I know deadly about this. Yeah. Well, they never met. They just had like some an email exchange, and that was it with like a bunch of yeah. like you know pornographic images that yeah. they found. Because yeah, they the prosecute the prosecutors actually recovered you know those pornographic images from Peterson's computer where the deleted files were stored. He had so this is one another interesting. Thing. He actually went and deleted all of his files at some point after this happened or before mm. his computer got confiscated. He ah. had a, done a clear of his computer, tried to, you know, flush it out of all that stuff. God. And jurors were actually shown hundreds of images, thumbnails of photographs that were stored on the computer when someone visited internet sites. That's crazy. And they didn't tell that in the in the documentary either. Many of the images were of men, some were merely shirtless, others were engaged in various sexual acts. So very interesting why does he i mean that's kind of weird to me like why do they need to it doesn't really matter if he has pictures of people on his computer no no it's not it's not that i think it's just well i think it again it comes into relevance because they were saying that like it was like picture perfect marriage everything was good because like when you when something like this happens they dig in they try to find every angle to try to figure out you know could there be a motive there Mm mm-hmm you know, they yeah. don't care whether or not it's like gay or not gay or straight or whatever. It's not about that. It's Mm-mm. about the fact that, you know, even if this had been a woman, they would have brought it in, you know. Right. But would they have sh- if he had a bunch of women, like pictures of women on his computer, would they have shown that? Unless they were pictures that were sent to him. But if is he just like downloading these from Google? Like who really gives a fuck? If he's like yeah. saving images. Yeah. No, that's the thing. That's it's like saying. it's not like all like personally cheating like or selfies or something. Right. Yeah. So but but again. If you show that to a jury, you're going to give, you know, usually get a reaction from people, you know, mm-hmm. when they see things like that. It's going to be like, whoa, oh, geez, you know, depending on who you are. So, right. all right. So here here's perhaps one of the biggest um, pitfalls of the case, I guess. Yeah. Pitfalls, is, isn't it? Pitfalls. I say pitbull. <laughs> <laughs> pitbull. Dolly. <laughs> Dolly. <laughs> no, but this is so. Now we get to the forensics and this blood spatter analyst named Dwayne Deaver from mm. the SBI, the State Bureau of Investigation, North Carolina. Dwayne Dummy. Sorry. Pretty much. So Dwayne <laughs> Deaver, why is he important? Well, he's an 18-year veteran of the SBI, and he told the jury that Kathleen Peterson was hit at least three times on the back of the head with an object and that the back of her head also hit two wooden stairs. Said that based on the blood spatter on her husband's shorts and shoes, the wearer was standing directly over Kathleen Peterson when she was killed. And in the actual trial, holding one of Peterson's worn Converse sneakers in front of him and walking along the jury box, Deaver said, The source of blood at the time of impact was above the shoes. I can't say how high it was, I can say it was above the shoe. And he proceeds to pull out State's Exhibit Number 72. And the DA Hardin asked Deaver whether he had seen it before. Deaver replied that the fireplace tool called a blow poke was presented to him by the Durham police detective Art Holland. He asked me if an instrument like this could produce stains like on the step number 15, Deaver said. Another similar blood stain was also found near Kathleen Peterson's left leg. Deaver said he pressed the hooked end of the tool into a bloody paper towel and then against a poster board. It could have left such marks. And while processing the seed on December 9, 2001, Deaver looked for such a tool but found no fireplace tools in the sitting room near the kitchen. 
But when he went back June 27, 2002 to do more investigation, a fire plus set was there. And at the end of the day, the DA Hardin reached the question that he had been building toward for a whole week. He said, do you have a conclusion as to what happened in the stairwell on the early morning of December 9, 2001? Yes, I do. Deaver replied. Deaver swung the silver pointer to show how an attacker standing outside the stairwell used a weapon to strike Kathleen Peterson. Face down on the stairs, she was hit twice more. Then she got up, bleeding heavily. At some point, she is standing in her own blood, Deaver said. Then her head forcibly hit two steps. Someone began cleaning up. There should have been blood stains on step number 17, Deaver said. In my opinion, the blood has been purposely removed after the victim came to rest on step number 18. Deaver and Hardin held up Peterson's khaki shorts, the one he was wearing, when emergency workers arrived at 1810 Cedar Street. Someone was trying to destroy or change blood stains on the front of these shorts, Deaver said. But the stains still were a textbook case of blood spatter from a beating, he said. In another testimony, the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation Forensic Chemists testified about his analyst's analysis of blood found on the pair of khaki shorts Michael Peterson was wearing the night his wife died. And this uh, chemist's agent, John Bender, testified that he was asked to analyze eight drops of blood found on the inside of the rear right leg of Peterson's shorts, which were covered with his wife's blood. That the blood droplets were wider on the inside of the shorts than the outside, suggesting that the drops were applied to the fabric from the inside, Bender testified. No explanation was offered by the prosecution or the defense as to how blood spatter could have found its way inside Peterson's shorts or what it might mean. Yeah, I felt like yeah. that. that is like... Another huge thing for me, too, is like, what about the blood on his shorts? Because how does this fit in? Like, how does this fit into the whole thing? Exactly. How did he get that on his shorts then? If he wasn't there and he was somewhere else for two hours after this happened, how did he get the blood on himself? I know. Did he say he like kneeled down next to her? As far as I know, he like said he'd never touched her. Well, that's the thing. They never did any like DNA evidence on this. They never did any DNA testing on her clothes or anything. So... We don't even know if he was like touching her at one point Mm-mm. or if she has like had DNA evidence on him. Why? Why? Ugh, I find myself ans- like asking why all the time in all these cases. Why did the police not do this? Why didn't they do that? And there's right. never any reason. Like who the fuck is making these decisions? Seriously. It should be standard protocol. You would think that in this type of case that they would, especially if they think it's murder, they would do a DNA testing of of. Kathleen's clothes to see if Michael's DNA is anywhere on her. Yeah. Because there should be. There should be his DNA on her. If this is in fact what happened. If she was in fact killed and he was in close proximity with her or maybe she fought back or something. The blood didn't just all of a sudden spatter on him. Yeah. Like like, he didn't walk over there and then like accidentally. like like How'd the blood get on on there? Yeah. How'd the blood get on his shorts that he's (sighs) wearing? So that's bizarre so many of the things too michael has no explanation for and just yes. ignores and and minimizes them in the documentary and you no know, and this and the whole blood spatter thing was interesting because in the staircase um they make this diva guy look like a complete joke a complete fool because david rudolph attacks him left and right basically goes after his experiments because he was showing like the blood spatter analysts they do like these experiments to try to show how certain uh patterns can be made from various different types of injuries and different scenarios and 
basically David was able to prove in front of everybody that Deaver basically didn't know what the hell he was doing as a blood spatter analyst and that his experiments that he was saying was like conclusive to you know evidence that this was a murder were a complete joke there was no science involved whatsoever no it was it looked pretty ridiculous and there's actually video in the staircase of showing Deaver and his like um team like yeah. hitting a sponge over a thing to try to create spatters on on the wall it, it just looks really wonky and really like janky definitely not yeah janky and definitely not like scientific and he he didn't like record things right. He he didn't follow any sort of scientific process. Which if you're working in blood spatter or any type of forensics, science is like literally everything. So the fact that he literally didn't know how to do this was pretty pretty alarming. So I'm trying to just I'm trying to see if there's um anything I wanted to include um from here. So here's here's some uh I found a newspaper clipping actually of some of the actual statements that Rudolph said to Deaver because it was pretty, pretty interesting. So Rudolph on August 14th argued that Deaver was no expert, but district attorney Jim Harden retorted that Rudolph's question about whether Deaver had passed proficiency tests was a straw man because no such testing exists in the United States. Deaver Harden said has testified as an expert in 60 cases. They can't all be wrong. Deaver defends the experiments he used to form opinions about how Kathleen Peterson died, which included dropping a sponge, beating a sponge, and a styrofoam head, and stomping on bloody clothing. The witness candidly said he would have not given an opinion without the experiment. The experiments are unscientific, and that makes them unreliable. The judge disagreed. Each opinion is reliable and routinely used in his area of expertise, he said. Rudolph asked, did Deaver measure the amount of blood used in his experiments? Did he measure the impact force he applied with the metal rod? Did he take before and after photographs each time? Deaver said no. In one experiment, Deaver struck the sponge to see whether he could replicate the blood stain found on the inside right leg of Peterson's shorts. That led Rudolph to wonder, by the way, what is this? And the video shows Deaver flexing his right leg after the experiment. And SBI agent Susie Barker looking at the inside of his thigh. Barker then throws up her hands, kicks up her heels, and bounds away in an end zone dance. Giggles were floating in the courtroom because literally they looked like they were happy. Like they're like, yay, we did it. They like recreated exactly what they wanted. But his leg is all at this like weird angle. Remember that? Yeah. Like, and it was like, David's like, what is this? This is yeah. like literally set up to be exactly what you what want you the want results to be. To yeah. be. Mm -hmm. so not scientific and it's like even if even if you think someone's guilty and you look at it and your professional opinion is there's no you have to be unbiased like that's just such shitty work and it's stuff like this that just like ruins cases it's so frustrating so the other testimony in this case that was extremely important was that of the medical examiner and pathologist dr deborah radish who was an associate state medical examiner who performed the autopsy on Kathleen Peterson testified Thursday during the grand jury session that the injuries weren't consistent with a fall down the stairs. They were caused by some sort of blunt object. She said in an interview, we don't usually see multiple injuries of that kind of severity in a fall down the steps. Yeah. Which is what I kind of thought too, is like, these are like serious injuries, multiple of them mm -hmm. from falling. It really doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It really doesn't. 
And Radish said Kathleen Peterson was wearing a sweatsuit and did not have skin under her fingernails that would suggest a struggle. She declined to say whether the cuts and bruises on her arms and upper body indicated a struggle at the time. An autopsy showed that Kathleen Peterson died of severe injuries to the back of her head. Before calling the investigation into her death as a murder probe, police said that death was suspicious because of the large amount of blood at the scene, on the front door and on the sidewalk, and on Michael Peterson. And in the last two episodes of The Staircase, actually, filmed in 2016, as his legal case finally comes to a close, you might have noticed lawyers mentioning strangulation injuries discovered in Kathleen Peterson's autopsy. You'd think this would have been a major point of evidence, but for some reason up until then, it had never been referenced in the, in the staircase, actually. Mm-mm. And a woman by the name Diane Fanning explains the injuries a little bit more detail in her book called Written in Blood. She says, Dr. Radish, the state pathologist, moved her examination to the internal neck area and discovered a bloodied fracture with a hemorrhage on the small extension off of the left thyroid cartilage. I was going to say, when I saw thyroid in the autopsy, I was like, ah, oh, strangulation, dude. Right. That makes sense. It's, it's an injury unlikely to occur in a fall and usually Definitely a result not. of direct trauma to the bone and was common in strangulation or attempt in strangulation. So how that injury How'd get she there? get injury on her neck and her if they're saying like her she fell backwards and hit her head all these wacky ways, how would she have gotten the neck injury? That yeah, doesn't make it sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And that's why sometimes you have to trust your gut. And obviously you always have to look at all the evidence and everything and everyone's guilty or innocent until proven guilty everybody's guilty <laughs> but when you see this scene something inside of you just goes wait no there's there's no way it's just human instinct yeah it's it it's one of those cases that just completely rips you apart because you're like well this that and mm. i don't know i just can't see it being any other way well it could be another way it could be it yeah. could be should never say could be. And of course, I'm speaking from my personal opinion, too. Yes. Remind people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Deborah Radish, the medical examiner, also got to perform an autopsy, another autopsy on Elizabeth Ratliff's exhumed body. And she said that Ratliff's death was inconsistent with the fall down the set of stairs because of the severity and number of lacerations, which were seven found on her head. Rather, they are indicative of multiple blunt force impacts, either from blows to the head caused by a blunt object or by the head being forcibly struck against a hard surface. She also wrote, it is further my opinion that these injuries were incurred while Mrs. Ratliff was alive and are of sufficient severity to have caused her death. She noted that the intracranial hemorrhages noted at the first autopsy were primarily the result of blunt trauma rather than any underlying natural disease process. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of this? This medical examiner, this was very, very damaging testimony to Michael's case. Yeah. It had a huge impact because it's like, how do you? So unless this medical examiner has something out for Michael, <laughs> why? Why would she do that for one? No, these people are professionals. And she was basically able to say that they're in seems like good judgment that there was similar, very similar injuries to both. Mm-hmm. Ratliff and Kathleen mm-hmm. and that they were serious enough to cause death. Yep. And likely happened before death. Yeah. That's that's pretty damning that's pretty evidence. Damning. That's yeah. absolutely. I mean, that's hard to fight, I think. Yeah. You know? 
I mean, I'm just so like. But I'm be, so made up. Yeah, you know, I know. <laughs> it's really bad, but it is I'm bad. I'm trying to be like open-minded, but I just It's hard. I cannot it's hard. understand how they just fell and got these injuries. That's just bullshit to me. It's like almost offensive. Like, come on. That did not happen. And I guess maybe there's other theories we're going to explore some of that. <laughs> yeah. But I just have such a problem with it. The fact that it happened twice. If it happened once, I think I would be a little more like maybe on the not side, but the fact that this happened twice how often do you hear about people falling down the stairs and and, and leaving dying. scenes like this like is it that often i mean i don't I know if but... someone falls down the stairs i think there's probably been deaths but i don't think i definitely don't know of any that have had this much blood and this many lacerations and thyroid damage like come on to the arms and everywhere else like what the hell so the trial uh, michael's trial actually ends on october 10 2003 and after four days of deliberation, the jury found Michael Peterson guilty of first-degree murder of his wife. He was then sentenced to life in prison without the benefit of parole. And all the way up to this point, up to this point, and even now, Michael Peterson has maintained his innocence. Yeah. Saying, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. I did not believe until the jury clerk read the sentence that I would be convicted. He and did not think that. this was a brutal scene. It was really upsetting I feel so sorry for Michael's two daughters. Like, think about their life. They're his adoptive daughters. Mm -hmm. First, their dad dies. Then their mom dies down a staircase. She, they get adopted by Kathleen and Michael. Mm -hmm. Then Kathleen dies. And then Michael's up for life in prison. Mm -hmm. So, they're, so yeah. all four parental figures that they have. And they showed them in the courtroom. He wanted them to be there. And they were... It was devastating to watch. It was very sad because they believe their father is innocent. Yeah. And so I they've think, all stood by him. That's major, yeah. major key here is his family, his kids, his sons and his and his adopted kids have stood behind him yeah. and said he's innocent. We believe he never did anything to hurt and her. And it tugs your heartstrings as you're watching because you feel bad. That was when I found myself second guessing things. I started going to, well, maybe he didn't because like his kids love him so much and his grandkids love him so much and you know it's so sad how you know but then i think of kathleen and i'm like there's no way this didn't happen to her and you have to like put out all the other stuff aside and fight justice for the victim you, you have know, you can't to. just be like this you person was put... is nice and their kids like them so they're innocent we have to know the truth right we need to know the truth we about need what justice happened for kathleen right absolutely if she, you know she would want that so, but I see, I think your vision would be pretty cleared. I mean, pretty um foggy being his kids. Obviously, they're not going to want the last person in their life to no, go to prison. No. I mean, for instance, we talked about la uh, the latest video on my channel about Alyssa Turney. If you haven't seen it, it's probably the my favorite video I've ever done. I'm so Amazing. proud of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, his her sister's in it, Sarah Turney. And for a long time, Sarah thought her dad was innocent and would kind of just ignore what everyone else was saying because this is her only parent well, we all want to like think the best of especially people that we love and care about we yeah. you know we always want to see the good in people for the right. you know as human beings but you have to remember people are sneaky lying deceptive people like mm -hmm. people like they will people will lie cheat steal you know to get away with stuff yeah and nobody is out of the realm of that possibility nobody mm -mm. not one single person we're all susceptible to being like that you yeah. know 
we could definitely be like that in the staircase he actually said that they lied they cheated they did everything to convict me he basically said that (sighs) the da all the experts the judge everybody had had it out for him basically because here's an interesting point is he actually ran for mayor in durham actually wow he actually tried to run for mayor and he wrote he was a newspaper columnist so he wrote stuff in the newspaper mm. so he's claims that they had bias to him based upon his like professional experience with them and stuff i think it's more that they just wanted justice for kathleen i mean i don't it I didn't think seem like saying they, were going they lied him. they cheated i mean you can't lie and cheat on an autopsy you can't right. lie and cheat about the evidence. The I mean, people are looking, the, the, you know, the jury's looking at the actual crime scene themselves. You can't lie. You can't change that. Which I guess they did have some fuck-ups with that, though. Remember in the movie, we talk, they talked about it? I'm not sure um, if it's in here. But remember, there was, like, some photos that were screwed up of right. the crime no, scene. I are didn't, we going to get yeah, into that? No. But, yeah, there were some, they uh, had one of the people who processes the photos crime scene photos on the stand and there was like little weird inconsistencies like a little spot of blood that actually wasn't in the original photos was like there all of a sudden so it definitely was like some sketchiness like absolutely for yeah sure. no and not they, that i think he's innocent i really don't but i think there is a lot of fuckery there is i mean i think i think there's clearly evidence that the police did not process this crime scene it was contaminated they didn't deal with the evidence properly Mm -hmm. they didn't you know they made a lot of mistakes yes in this case and in in investigating this case they did jump to conclusions i think very quickly and then just kind of ruled out all other possibilities and kind of went on a witch hunt for michael a little bit i totally get a little bit of that yeah a little bit of it because my in in the staircase a witch hunt would mean he's not guilty I think it's more of like trying oh, to convict yeah. him because they think he did it and the evidence right you know the evidence points to him yeah right, right. but the the thing that you just brought up though the pictures where they said you know the people on the same were like that's a computer glitch yeah that they were caused like, that's a glitch. there to be all this extra like more yeah. blood on this next photograph so there's little things like that that they brought for that was pretty weird and you know just sketchy and more shit we'll find out about Dwayne Deaver the blood analyst guy um, later on, but on January 16, 2004, the Supreme Court Judge Orlando Hudson rules in the favor of Caitlin Atwater in her wrongful death lawsuit. So she wins that lawsuit against Michael. So that means the jury found him guilty in that case. In, yes, yeah. in the wrongful death lawsuit. Yeah, they did. Because mm-hmm. then two years later, in June of 2006, Michael Peterson files for bankruptcy and he's completely broke. Yep. Well, will do that to you yep and so they start filing motions that they believe that michael received an unfair trial and that he deserves a new trial because they felt like there was prejudice against him probably because of the sexuality stuff um you know so Hmm. but in september 19th of 2006 the three judge north carolina court of appeals panel um, rejected Peterson's argument that he did not receive a fair trial. So they said they felt like they gave him a fair trial, which mm, probably not. They need probably to not as fair. It. The trial yeah. was a fucking mess. Yeah, the trial was not good. On yeah, it was just was not good. On February first, two thousand seven, Michael Peterson and Caitlin Atwater agreed to a twenty-five million dollar settlement. Which damn, that's crazy. he's never going to pay that. No. 
What's the point? Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. And then in 2007, they reject Peterson's appeal as well. But new info comes along in January of 2011 about none other than Dwayne Deaver, the SBI blood analyst, who was actually fired after an audit showed mm-hmm. he was negligent in dozens of tests he performed for the state and he and showed he had misrepresented blood test results in 34 cases. That is so bad. Basically just straight up lied lying. in his reports about yeah. what what he found. Yeah, he was straight lying and he if you want to say witch hunt it applies for him. Yeah. For sure. That's true. And this guy started working for the SBI in December 1985. And Deaver was the analyst that had given the testimony in Peterson's trial and told jurors among other things that the blood spatter found on the inside of Peterson's shorts could have only gotten there if he was standing over her body and striking her from above as she died. So he was really the one that, you know, sort of set up this idea of murder and this scene of murder when the evidence really can't point to that. There's not enough evidence to say that's what happened. And the prosecution really used this as like, the story of what happened yeah because that is the the hardest thing with this case is you can't say exactly what happened it's like very confusing there's a and what's interesting is that michael's team defense team actually hires uh the same blood spatter analyst that was in oj's trial actually which Mm. is interesting he's like he's like one of those you know high profile analysts yeah and from what he was saying that we saw in the staircase he was like that's like he he looked at as it was an accident and she was the blood spatters is from Coughing. Uh, Kathleen coughing. Yeah, which that's the guy. There's got to be a lot of blood for the create the blood spatters that were there. Yeah, and they remember when they were testing for it, they were like getting a bunch of blood or like ketchup and water in their yeah. mouth, and then coughing. But like, he would hack at like right in front of the wall yeah. and create this kind of spatter. Yeah. But Kathleen's upside down, almost in the kitchen. Yeah, I don't get it. Is it like a water spout? Like she's just there would have had to been a lot a of blood. Yeah, for her to reach coming out of her wall. mouth. Yeah. No, there there was blood on the ceiling. Yeah, and she wasn't even fully in the staircase. No, and there was blood on the ceiling. How uh, does how do you cough blood to the ceiling? I mean, you'd have to cough really hard. Yeah, damn. So it just it really doesn't make a lot of sense. No. The defense's version of events, but was it exactly like Deaver presented it? I don't know. Hmm. But Deaver not only was he uh somebody that often committed misconduct but the rest of his unit was too the whole bloodstain pattern analysis unit was suspended in 2010 after an investigation by the news and observer found more than 100 cases of misrepresented blood test results between 1986 and 2002 so they were doing this for years they were just straight up changing test results probably working with the prosecutors to create whatever results they wanted to create yeah and that was damning for a lot of different people. And, and I think I mentioned it later on here. But because of this uh, new info about Dwayne Deaver and him getting fired and all this misconduct, other cases actually got completely yeah. um, reversed. Convictions got reversed of people that mm-hmm. were in prison for murder for life, for life yeah. because of this guy. Mm-hmm. So people were going to jail. Innocent people, 100% innocent people went to jail for years. Because Dwayne Deaver lied. As far as we know. As far as we know, right. And this guy 
What a piece of shit. <laughs> For real. Seriously, though. You like, really suck at your job. Terrible. And then, unfortunately, this kind of stuff happens more often than not, mm -hmm. I feel like. Mm -hmm. You know, in just any type of profession. But the fact that it does happen in law enforcement and, you know, in our criminal justice process is just appalling. It's like, how is this fair whatsoever if literally the prosecution's getting exactly you know the right evidence that they want to convict me like yeah it's definitely not fair he needed a new trial for sure because i i feel like there's a like a level of ego involved on the da side like mm -hmm. the da doesn't want to lose cases like they want to they want to be right they want to be the ones that are you know winning these cases not the defense because that looks good for them it looks good for the re-election and all that sort of thing so is it possible that they work together with forensics to try to, you know, get the right test, get the right results that they want in order to help them win cases? I wonder if without Deaver's testimony, if the jury still would have convicted him, though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because I still think they may have. You think so? Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. I think so. I really do. I, I wish we could be in that jury room. <laughs> Dude, I bet it was like a lot of fighting. Wasn't it like days? That it took them four days wow. but on february 15 2011 michael peterson files a motion for a retrial based on deaver's termination and shortly thereafter michael's conviction is overturned and judge hudson grants peterson a new trial but places him under house arrest and the retrial is eventually scheduled for May 2017. So, so he's been in jail quite a ways eight off. Eight years. Yeah. At this eight, point. almost nine years. He finally gets out. And in the documentary, it's like he's really struggling in jail. He looks uh, a lot different. Like lot eight pain. years in jail really won him. He's yeah. Looks like a he's older. He's in his seventies. He's frail. He looks you know like yeah. he's did some time for sure. Yeah. But on February 7, 2017, news breaks that Peterson, now 73 will plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter in his wife's death in exchange for a sentence of time served. So an Alfred plea. Right. He'll enter an Alfred plea in which he acknowledges that the state has enough evidence to convict him but still maintains his innocence. And with Deaver's testimony obviously off the table, the state decided the best way to get justice for Kathleen was to offer Michael Peterson a deal to get him to at least um, plead guilty to something. And he was really hesitant to do that. He kept saying he like, wanted he to do it. He was thinking about fighting it and just being yeah. like, fuck it, go to trial. Going to trial. Do it again. Because he insisted, I'm innocent. He yeah. felt, but at by that time, him and his lawyer, David, they were like, dude, you're not going to get a fair trial. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, so there's no point in, he's like, you might yeah. get the same result. You might get convicted, which like you See, just that, said, that shows he could have. They knew that. He was smart. Uh, David Rudolph, Rudolph was smart was... enough to know that the jury, mm -hmm. whether they had that blood spatter analysis or not, that is not the only thing no. that makes him guilty to mm -hmm. people. So you're taking your chances. Like, Good obviously, lawyer. it'd be better without the, the blood spatter. Stuff. You can end this now and avoid any chance of going back in. Do I it. think eventually the crew he was working with started to think he was guilty like that. It, they, it seems obvious to me, especially there's some of them that I'm just like. You look like you're staring at him like, dude, what the hell? Well, his whole team, about? pretty much, including David, of all, all are not, they all don't like go around and be like, he's definitely innocent. I mean, they say what they say for him, but mm -hmm. they all are like, yeah, maybe. Like, they're it's like, weird. there's some weirdness to it. Absolutely. Come on. I want like an explanation for 
Oh, just and it for it happening twice. I just can't get over that. That just solidified it for me. You know, I was just like, God, this is really interesting, though. And I wanted to read this because this is the official court document. I'm not gonna read all of it. But this is um, the document for his Alford plea to the judge. And this is the way they explain their case for wanting this Alford plea. This is from David uh, Rudolph. He says, Michael Peterson is innocent of the murder of Kathleen Peterson. From the beginning of the investigation into Mrs. Peterson's death and throughout his now 15-year battle with the criminal justice system, Mr. Peterson has steadfastly maintained his innocence at all times. He continues to do so now. He did not kill Kathleen Peterson. He did not attack Kathleen Peterson. He did not strike Kathleen Peterson. He is not responsible for her death in any way. Two, despite his innocence, he was convicted of first-degree murder in October 2003 and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Although the appellate courts found that he that the Durham police had violated Mr. Peterson's constitutional rights and that prosecutors had engaged in improper arguments, they nevertheless found these fundamental errors to be harmless. His conviction was therefore affirmed. As a result, Mr. Peterson was in prison for more than eight years until Judge Hudson found in December 2011 that the prosecution's star witness, SBI agent Dwayne Deaver, had committed perjury, which he did, and granted Mr. Peterson new trial. It has now been five years since that ruling, and this case began when Michael Peterson was 58 years old. He is now 73. But most importantly, what the events of the last 15 years have shown Mr. Peterson is that the criminal justice system cannot be trusted to do justice. Law enforcement officers, prosecutors, and medical examiners do not necessarily search for the truth. Once they have adopted a theory of a person's guilt, a theory in this case created by former SBI agent Dwayne Deaver, they ignore evidence that is inconsistent with their theory and twist facts to support their theory. This is why literally hundreds of innocent people have been exonerated by DNA evidence over the past 15 years. It is also why Mr. Peterson believes that an Alford plea, which resolves this matter while allowing him to maintain his innocence is in his best interest at this time. And in this, he continues to go on talking about the misconduct by law enforcement, um, basically claiming that they are the ones that caused this trial to go sour for, um, as far as fairness goes and let ultimately led to a conviction of Michael. So Josh, like just random question. What do you think as far as, uh, him getting off? Like, do you, do you think without, um, you know, sorry, I'm like trying to word this, but just in your opinion, not in a court of law, do you think he's guilty or innocent? You know, I'm honestly like very torn with this and I'll, I want to give more of my thoughts at the end after we cover the theories because yeah, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I can't feel, you know, my gut tells me he's guilty because there's just too many weird oddities about this, that the chances of them being just weird oddities is pretty crazy. I feel like, right. But But. as far as the evidence presented to the court and evidence against Michael that links him to it, that shows motive that it's, I think it's a bit iffy a little Mm -hmm. bit, but I just wanted to mention this. Um, sorry. Sorry, I just wanted to mention this about the medical examiner because that was like the most damaging thing for him. But there's also allegations of misconduct on her part as well. David says that the North Carolina medical examiner stated in the autopsy report that the cause of death of Kathleen Peterson was blunt force trauma of the head. Mm. 
Deborah Radish, claimed at the trial that this finding reflected the conclusion that she personally had reached. Specifically, she testified under questioning by the district attorney about the autopsy reports as follows. The question was, and does it reflect the actual findings and conclusions and diagnoses that you made in this case? Yes, it does. After Michael Peterson's trial, however, defense counsel was authorized by the statute to inspect the district attorney's file. In that file was a note written by assistant district attorney Frida Black, which stated that during a meeting on April 8, 2003, just before the trial began, Dr. Radish told Black that she did not believe that Kathleen Peterson died of brain trauma and that Dr. Butts made her back up her findings re-blood loss as the cause of death on the autopsy because she, he did not agree. The Durham District Attorney's Office never disclosed this to the defense counsel or the court. Um, this in critical impeachment evidence which went to the heart of Dever, uh, Dr. Radish's credibility and the veracity of her trial testimony. So basically, the prosecutors allowed Dr. Radish's false testimony to stand uncorrected. So th this is very fishy and it, it could it could signify that there may have been some behind the scenes thing going. There could have been, there could have been some falsifying of things, but why? And you know, is mm -hmm. it, it could just be coincidence that that happened. There's just a lot of like weird oddities. Like I just said about this whole thing, but on February 29th or I'm sorry, on February 24th, 2017, Michael Peterson pleads guilty to manslaughter and walks out of the courthouse, a free man using the Alfred plea. His plea, although technically guilty, did not officially solve the mystery of Kathleen's death, obviously. The words Alfred plea are meaningless. Alfred Smallford, it means nothing. Guilt, Kathleen's sister said, Candace Zamperini yelled at Michael during the trial. Yeah, yeah. it's in the staircase. She was it's, really pissed. She was end. super pissed. Yeah. You brutally took the life of a woman who provided for you, guarded your children. She loved you. They're yelling at him like yeah. pissed. They, and that's the thing. That's another thing. I'm like, Kathleen's family. I mean, could it just be they? Kathleen's family didn't even seem to like consider that she might have fell. They. It seemed like they because they know it's bullshit. I'm sorry. I. Oh, I'm sorry. It drives me insane. At the end of the day, this cannot be a staircase fall. It doesn't make sense. Like, I'd like to hear a different theory, you know? Yeah. I would feel the same way if that was my mother or my sister. I would be like, there's no way she, like, show me how she did this. Show me how she got those injuries. And I think the biggest piece of evidence is the damn autopsy. It's just too weird. Yeah. The comparison between the two bodies was very odd. The similarities were odd. The circumstances were odd. It, it really just... I don't know. And the blood on his shorts, that's unexplained. The two hours that is gone in the timeline. Yeah, that's too weird. Like, what the hell? But at the same time, I don't know if there was enough. I just want to make it clear to people that I'm not saying he's guilt. He should have been guilty in a court of law. I'm saying I personally think that, but I'm not sure if there's enough evidence to prove it in court, you know? So I, I honestly think the Alfred plea had to be done and he should have gotten out just because the trial was such garbage. I yeah. wish they tried it again. I really I would have liked to that. see another yeah. trial for this because I think with like the actual fact but the problem is is that the evidence was all c contaminated like they didn't seal it up right. 
over the years it got lost you know things was not taken care of the way that it should have so there was that was another way that they got this alfred plea was that they were basically like the police didn't take care of the evidence they didn't preserve it it's contaminated they can't use it so what are they there's not enough to even try him at this point is what they tried to say so i don't know man it's it's pretty pretty wild yeah so getting into um now the theories about it so where we'll okay. specifically talk about some more of the actual details so this is some reasons for why would michael want to murder his wife well there are some interesting facts here michael and kathleen like we mentioned lived in the mansion they were financially supporting their five children from previous relationships michael was just an author wrote a couple books like we said but did not make a lot of money doing that at all and Kathleen by 2001 was making around $150,000 a year at Nortel, but it wasn't enough because the couple owed $143,000 on their credit cards. That's a lot on That's their credit lot. cards. And they could barely pay their children's college tuition fees. They were drowning in bills. At their peak, Kathleen's Nortel shares have been worth around $2.5 million. And by December 2001, the company was crashing and they were worth only 50000 Damn. So she didn't have, like, they didn't have much cash at all. Mm -mm. They, were, they were cash poor. But Kathleen did have a life insurance policy and a motive. pension worth 1.4 million in the event of her death. Motive clearly could be motive there, absolutely. So what did what did actually happen on the night of December 9, 2001? Because everybody has their own story, and let's recap real quick. The prosecution speculated that the murder weapon was a blow poke, a hollow rod with a spike at the end designed to stoke a fire. I feel like the biggest problem the defense had was. I mean, sorry, the um, prosecution had was coming up with exactly what they thought happened. Their story isn't like very, I mean, Con it, it's not super convincing or yeah, anything. Yeah. And it doesn't like completely make sense. Um, so I think that was one of their biggest issues they had was trying to like figure out what the murder really weapon sure. was. Because they're not really sure. It's like, uh. Because well, the murder weapon, I mean, she had these lacerations, but she didn't have like serious brain No fracture. Right? Yeah, no brain swelling, no fracture to the skull. So it wasn't. So it couldn't have been hit with something heavy. So it was like a golf club. My or first a bat. guess when we, Josh and I were watching this was a, a violin. <laughs> like a. Bow? Yeah, from a violin. I don't know. That just. Because it seemed like a whip. Like she was like. Something bendy. Something. So like in these blow pokes are kind of bendy like they're yeah. they're kind of lightweight and they're kind of like that uh thin metal like aluminum mm -hmm. so because the, basically the medical examiner also said that it it seems like somebody had whipped them over her head like they kind of whipped over the head because they had that metal that was you know flexible right. enough because just the way that they looked is there these curved lacerations but this is the weird thing about the blow poke thing is very weird because yeah. the Petersons definitely owned this tool. But, she was like super into her blow poke, right? Yeah. Or, or it was her sister had given her this blow poke yeah. and she had given it to multiple people in their family because she just like loved this blow poke, which basically is a thing that used to blow fire onto or blow, <laughs> blow the air fire. onto a fire and stoke yeah. it. Right. Um. So stoke she had one of and... these and it was like one of her favorite things that she had because it's like from her sister and stuff and at the at the time of the crime this thing is missing it's not found on the day on in december of 2001 but david's lawyer randomly produces a blow poke in court claiming it had been in the garage all along this was very weird too you want to explain this yeah, yeah and when they were filming this basically all of a sudden they're like okay 
we're, we just got a call from Michael Peterson. It's Sunday, yeah, so normally yeah. we don't work with him or anything, but we're going over there now because he, he found, found the, the blow, blow poke. poke. And it was actually his son that found the blow poke. Mm -hmm. So I think it was in the basement, like near a... It was in the garage. In the garage. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just standing there. In the a thing corner. was just standing there, almost like, come find me. It was really weird. It wasn't hidden under anything. It was standing straight up against <laughs> a wall. Um, with nothing else around it, it's very weird how it just kind of appeared. And this is something that, you know, obviously people are looking for, the prosecution's looking for, police are looking for. They didn't just miss it. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is like not good for yeah, Michael. Because it just like popped up all of a sudden. But if it's not good for Michael, he may, I mean, he might think it was because obviously. Well, yeah, well, it was good and bad. It could have been placed there by could, him. Right. So maybe he had some thinking behind it. Because that's the biggest problem is the murder weapons missing. So you can't say whether or not he used it or not. Right. So they really so the defense did a great job at presenting this as like, oh, this is just the blow poke. It's been in the garage for a long time. It's got cobwebs, dust. They took they got a professional photographer to take pictures of it to show how old, how long it's been sitting there. But I feel like. The brother was like, yeah, I don't ever remember seeing it there. It just kind of conveniently showed up. I there. will say the butter, the, the butter, the brother kind of just like disappeared after that. Yeah. He yeah. was like really seemed really sketched out. Like he was like, yeah, I just they found it. It was sketchy. just sitting there. Like, I think he even thought that was weird. Like I've been down there plenty of yeah, times. I've like, never seen this. This blow poke is like on everyone's mind for years. It's anyone. Everyone's talking about where's it. the blow poke. There's no way that you would just not see it when you're down there. And then, yeah, they kind of stopped interviewing him after that. Like he got kind of sketchy and like wasn't really part of the documentary after that. Weird. I think that is just too weird. And then I think he may have, you know, had one. Well, in like, we find out later that he had multiple blow pokes. Weird. We find out later. Of the same type. Yeah. No, it's very interesting. But first, hang on. Let's just talk about this timeline real quick. So okay. if we're to be generous to Michael and say uh, him and his wife go out to the pool at 1130 and let's imagine they stay there for an hour. That would mean she enters the house at 1233, starts to climb up the stairs shortly afterwards. Michael Peterson would still have to convince me he stayed by the pool for two hours at least in his shorts on a December night before deciding to come inside. Is this credible, do you think? No. Right. It doesn't make any sense, and I think you would go after your wife if she didn't come back. Here's one possibility. Michael and Kathleen, they watch the movie, they drink through wine. She walks in the house, she has an accident. Michael stays by the pool for a couple hours. Then he finds Kathleen lying in a pool of blood with a corona of blood spatters on the wall. He calls 911. He does not say, my wife, she's covered in blood. There's blood everywhere. He says, she's had an accident. She fell down the stairs. She's still breathing. That's exactly what boxes. I was thinking is like when he, his, his call is weird to me because of his lack, like what he didn't say. Because if I walked in on someone at the bottom of the stairs, you covered in blood, I'd be like, get someone here he's, he's covered in blood i have no i think he may have fell like why did he immediately was like she fell down the stairs he knew exactly what it seemed like he knew exactly what he was saying and of course you can't really prove this because anybody would be like well i was just shocked i didn't know what yeah. to say I just it's thought, hard that's what he says is that like, thing because it's like no one knows how they would how personally you would react or say but um, ah, it's so weird that he's so specific about it i think you'd mention the blood like he's like check with how okay, much blood cover like, this that, cover that. just natural to for that to come to your head yeah, I think so. I think it's totally natural But here's another scenario. Here's another possibility about what happened Kathleen was worried about her job. Clearly the company's not doing well yeah. on the night She died. 
She needed to send an email to arrange the next day's conference call, so she left her laptop in the office. She'd have to use Michael's computer, so she, which she mm-hmm. rarely went into Michael's office. It was a, his private space. She'd have to ask him nicely. Kathleen had been worried about Michael. There was something shifty about him. He would say he was going to the gym and he wouldn't come back for hours. For Kathleen, infidelity was a deal breaker. She divorced her first husband when she found out he was seeing someone ah. else. If she ever discovered that Michael was cheating, that was it. Mm-hmm. Too many people who report on the case is clear about what happened around midnight on December 9th. Kathleen went into Michael's study. He couldn't very well stop her. The email was important. She was the breadwinner. Michael must have been silently praying. Please don't let her notice what's in the study. For instance, the gay porn on the computer, the explicit pictures in the desk drawer, the email to Brad, a gay escort, and basically finding out that he's bisexual. He'd been having sex with men for years. If Kathleen found out, he'd lose everything. Would Kathleen find a clue to Michael's infidelity? To many, this is what happened. Kathleen sees something. She cracks. She tells Michael the relationship is over. He cracks. And now the events that turn 1810 Cedar Street into a crime scene are set in motion. Mm -hmm. He knows she's right. He hits her. He hits her again. She passes out. She's bleeding heavily. It's after midnight on December 9, 2001. Michael Peterson looks at his wife at all the blood and he considers his options. And at 2.40 a.m. he picks up the phone. I think um, the fact that, you know, this happened to someone else makes it even weirder because wouldn't he have i mean that would mean he probably have pre-planned it or had thought like if she ever finds out i'm gonna do this exact same thing to her because i know how to make it look like a staircase fall i don't know he would have had to like think about it it's not like he'd have to get her in the exact right spot and like yeah no i know what you're saying like yeah that'd be pretty like crazy to to pull off like yeah and well, that's the thing. And that's where it's like, I don't know if he's guilty because it's like. There's just not enough to to say he did anything like mm-hmm. he was there. He was the last person to see her alive. But mm-hmm. we don't know if he attacked her or not. A hundred percent. We just no. don't know. We mm-hmm. don't know. But he was I, I think I think he definitely I think he's a liar. I think he's a pathological liar. Mm-hmm. So I think he might have lied about a lot of stuff. To, but. Yeah. That doesn't make you a killer, you know. You're a yeah. liar, but not necessarily a killer. So the whole like, but and that's the brutal makes killing. You a killer, or I don't know. It just shows that she was killed, didn't just fall, at least. So it's like, okay, so if it wasn't Michael, did someone come in and do this? That's weird too. Wouldn't they have left like some evidence? Wouldn't there be evidence of the house being broken into or anything like that? Yeah. Well, this is really interesting. Uh, that will I think will kind of help present the other side. This is David uh, David Rudolph's opinion of the fact that the prosecution of Michael's trial couldn't prove that he was guilty, so they tried to prove that he was the kind of person who may have killed his wife. And the, here's what David Rudolph said about that. He said there was no evidence of motive that ever stood up to cross-examination. Why? The motive is that she has a $1.4 million life in policy. Yeah, which, They're drowning in bills and he's cheating on her. Which I don't yeah, I mean that seems like a motive to me. Yeah, come on like That's just that's ridiculous if that can't be considered a motive. There's definitely a financial motive. There's definitely infidelity Here he explains this he says they started off trying to prove a financial motive That was completely undermined by the cross-examination of their financial expert 
and the fact that during the time the Petersons were allegedly under financial stress, Kathleen was deferring her salary into a bank account. I mean, literally not taking a large portion of her salary so that it could be saved for the future. Huh. The other motive, which was allegedly that Kathleen found some email correspondence on Michael's computer on the night of the death, revealing his extramarital affairs, was undermined by the cross-examination of their own computer expert who testified that there was no evidence yeah, that she ever me. accessed yeah. Michael's computer after the call with her coworker, which was completely normal. Which, mm-hmm. that's not that surprising. because I was going to ask if there's any evidence that she was actually on the computer. There's not. She so. would have to, like, literally probably, I mean, you could... So that's why it's just a theory. It's not like there's an activity tracker on the computer that tracks no. every motion on the machine. So she could have totally opened an email, closed it, and no one would know. You know? Mm-hmm. But... David says, so there is no motive. There was no murder weapon. The whole thing inconsistent with the way that they had lived their life. And it was inconsistent with what they were doing that night, which was drinking wine and watching a movie at 10 o'clock at night. As confirmed by an independent witness, a doctor who happened to visit the house with Michael's son, Todd, at about 10 p.m. that night. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, this was not in the documentary either. Given all that, what they were left with was A, trying to tarnish Michael's character and B, relying on this death in Germany which there was absolutely no evidence Michael had anything to do with. It really became a character assassination. And in some ways, I see his point that he's, you know, it's hard because, like, there isn't, I guess, any evidence that Michael, there's evidence that circumstantial the evidence may not have fallen and and was probably attacked. It's probably foul but how play, do we but know that we don't know if it was Michael that did it. Could have been somebody else that murdered them. For right. All we know. Technically, but it's like we're yeah. not idiots. I don't know. That's just, it's hard for me because, like, I I don't think there is enough evidence to prove that he did it. I really don't think that. As much as I personally really think he did. Right. Well, they... Not enough for court. But the fact that the fact that he did get a conviction is interesting. And, and I would love to, like, I wish there was, like, a jury report that they would release yeah. that would be, like, all of them giving their, their like, thoughts. thoughts about this. Because I would like to know what they thought of it being there firsthand, like, yeah, and see how it matches up with our thoughts. But is Michael Peterson really capable of murder? Well, one idea that I even thought of, too, was that Michael was a veteran, which doesn't make you a murderer, but this is interesting. So in interviews, Michael Peterson has said he went to war because he wanted to see combat, and he had aspirations about writing the great American war novel. After leaving the Marine Corps, Peterson wrote three novels and co-wrote a biography and another novel. He parlayed the success that followed his initial novels into prominence in Durham, including as a newspaper columnist, like we've mentioned before. And he unsuccessfully ran for mayor in 1999 and then city council in November 2001, a month before Kathleen was found dead. So he was a socialite. He was very involved in the community. So it makes you wonder if he could be, you know, there could be some, you know, somebody that has it out for him in the, you know, the court system, maybe. But in the fall of 1999, Peterson, along with four others, were vying to be Durham's next mayor. For years, Peterson had claimed a severe war injury to his right leg. He also said he had received two Purple Hearts in Vietnam. At the time, the News and Observer took a closer look at those claims. Marine Corps files show no record of Peterson receiving a Purple Heart medal, which Mm. is given to soldiers injured or killed in combat. Dude, if he lied about that, that's... Some, that's he lied about up. getting a Purple Heart and being shot in combat. That's really bad to lie about getting a Purple Heart. It's like really, really stupid. Again, it show, he's definitely like a pathologist. He's been lying his way through life for mm-hmm. a long time. Yep. 
in various forms, not just relationships, which is interesting, which in, goes to his character. Yes. Here, here's an here's an excerpt from uh, the, his 1999 story. He said in an interview, um, he Peterson had said he had received one of the Purple Hearts when a landmine blew up near him in Vietnam. A radio operator stepped on the mine and died from the blast, he said, and the shrapnel ripped his right leg. Michael said, I was shot once. The other was a landmine. My radio operator stepped on a mine. But when confronted with his military records that show the injury occurred while he was stationed in Japan two years later, Peterson disclosed that the leg injury occurred in a two-car accident in Japan. He said not even his family and closest friends knew the truth. Michael said, it's a cover. I admit it. My second wife, Kathleen, she doesn't know. I was going, I'm going to discuss it with her today. This was back before uh, his murder trial. So he, he straight up lied about his, his war injuries, how he got them, and yeah. probably about what he did in the Vietnam, like what he did during his time in the military. It is interesting to note for those of you, I know I have a lot of astrology fans out there, so for those of you that believe in astrology, he's a Scorpio, which is the biggest... Well, not liars, but they're good at keeping shit secret. They're like very stealthy and they don't share all information. They're not very forthcoming with things and they know how to keep secrets really well. That's what Scorpios are like really known for. So just thought that was interesting for those of you who. No, that's you know. great insight into that. <laughs> great insight. <laughs> Thank you for that insight. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> all right. So here's, here's the defense's theory basically wrapped up. Here's, here's what they said happened. They said, Michael and Kathleen go out to the pool area. They drink their wine. Kathleen goes in to send her email. She's not bothered by Michael's bisexuality. She accepted it long ago. And it's no threat to their marriage. It's just sex, which, again, how many people are cool with that? Obviously, people are cool with that. But, you know, in this scenario, some people say she would never be cool with that, I think, including her sisters. But anyways, Kathleen enters the house, walking in her flip flops. She starts to climb the steep back stairs. But she's taken in Valium as well as the wine and she's wobbly on her feet. She falls. She cracks her head open. She's gushing blood. She gets up again. She slips in the blood, cracks her head open again, lies there for a while, bleeding profusely, gets up again. She's dazed. She falls again. And according to Henry Lee, the blood spatter expert that the defense hired, he said that uh, he basically said the account events were that the blood gets into the mouth. And then she coughed it out. And he, again, demonstrated that in court. Meanwhile, Michael's smoking his pipe by the pool. For some reason, he doesn't find Kathleen until about 2.38. She's still breathing, so he places the 911 call. So even if that's true, that's that's still wild. Like, that's still crazy. Mm-hmm. Two hours he's out there? I mean, I guess he could be sitting out there for two hours just, like, hanging out, but... I don't know. That's that's crazy. So those are kind of the two main theories. Now, this one did not make it into the staircase. I'm surprised it didn't because it's super interesting. Yeah. And it, honestly, crazy. I'm I'm not ruling this out. This is wild. Either. This is really wild. So this is called the owl theory. And this this is what makes this so bizarre. So they're in North Carolina. Sorry, you want to say something? No, I was just going to say I'm, I'm very very interested in why they didn't use this like yeah, i don't get why the defense used she fell down the stairs like so hard like why i feel like it would have been more believable because you just want to you know cast a shadow of doubt that michael did it so why wouldn't i don't know and they did find pine needles and owl feathers yeah. in her hand this is possible which means that she may have come in contact with an owl hmm. but 
But it didn't come to light until 2009 because an attorney uh, brought forward this new theory, citing compelling evidence to prove that Peterson was, in fact, uh, not responsible for Kathleen's death, but instead he claimed that Owl was to blame. And according to the National Audubon Society, the Owl theory posts that a barred owl, a common species in Durham, got entangled in Kathleen's hair, causing serious injuries like the removal of part of her scalp and caused her to fall to her death down the stairs. The, so the society says Kathleen's autopsy revealed seven lacerations, including very deep ones in the back of her scalp and pine needles stuck to one of her hands, which both held clumps of her own hair. Plus the strands in the victim's left hand contained three small feathers. When hmm. you do, when you look at the, her injuries, they do appear consistent with being made by an owl's talons. Yeah. And they really do. They look like, like forks almost. They yeah, are, they really do. They have like a trident look to like them. It looks like a talon. But, Michael's attorney said she would hate to risk her client's life or future on that argument if they were to go to another trial to bring that in. But according to local news attorney, Lawrence Pollard filed a new motion in Superior Court in 2009 that stated, thus it is new and compelling evidence, probably the single most important piece of evidence found so far in this case because it connects the attack by a bird with the victim and it is held in the victim's hand. And no motion for a new trial came because of this evidence that was brought forward. So... Well, the other woman, Elizabeth Ratliff, had similar um, lacerations right. on her head. So did an owl attack her, too? And also, how? so the owl flies inside the house? Yeah, it seems weird. An attacks owl her in the like, house? really smart. Wouldn't an owl, like, like I could see maybe, maybe an owl made those marks. Hmm? And then she went in and then, I don't know. I don't think that makes sense. But it is weird that she had feathers in her own hair because that would definitely like you'd be grabbing like trying to grab it and you'd get your own hair in your hands. So like if she was outside on that an outdoor happened. staircase, I would really probably yeah. believe this. The fact that it's like all the way inside. But again, in I just staircase. keep coming back to Elizabeth Ratliff in Germany. It's too similar. It's too weird. It is weird. It's very weird. Here's something also weird, too, that the uh, staircase leaves out, too, is his sons um, were in legal trouble as well. Um, I'll kind of breeze through this. But basically, at 19, uh, Michael's son, Clayton Peterson, was arrested and charged with planting a small bomb in a Duke University office. And he was convicted in federal court of possessing a destructive device after um, admitting he broke into the building and placed a pipe bomb submerged in gasoline in a closet on the second floor. So, and um, he went to prison for that too. Wow. And not only that, but his other brother, these are Michael's biological kids. Todd Peterson um, is also interesting. So Peterson's, so Todd graduated from the NC State University and worked briefly for Nor Nortel Networks also. He then started a website, Futazi.com, which offered tips to high schoolers on kissing, sex, drunk friends, and makeup. That's weird. While Todd said the white website was to provide advice to teens like his sisters, some said the content and photos of the scantily dressed girls was inappropriate for that age group. The site also introduced Todd's alter ego bodybuilder, Roman Croft, with before and after photographs of him in boxer shorts. But on the night of Kathleen's death, Todd had been at a party with friends and came to the house with four friends after police had arrived. In testimony, police made it clear that Todd wasn't cooperative that night. A former Durham officer testified that he had to ask Todd not to talk to others, but that Todd continues to do so. 
The police moved two women who were with Todd into another room, and then at one point Todd tried to signal out the window. The detective testified. So weird. It could just be teenage activity, like they're like, but they're Kathleen just died. Like, yeah, this is a murder scene or a death scene. You know. Mm-hmm. Here's something else interesting as well. The search for the blow poke. The blow poke is is probably the weird one of the weird things about this. So, the Durham District Attorney. Uh, Jim Harden said in an interview that he still doesn't believe the blow poke that the Peterson's defense team presented in court was the blow poke that Kathleen's sister gave the couple. Harden contended that Peterson beat Kathleen with a blow poke or something like that, but law enforcement was unable to find it. Zamperini, Kathleen's sister, had said she gave Kathleen and her other siblings a blow poke many years mm-hmm. ago. And it wasn't until the two thousand at in two thousand three that David Rudolph actually introduced a blow poke that they said yeah, was discovered by Clay. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, and Hardin says he had he was like, how could I have just been there? He had officers measure every inch of that house. Like they, yeah, dude, they that thing was that like house. the main thing that they needed for their case. There's no way they didn't look for it as hard as they could, and we don't even know if that's the right one because they were like, see, there's no, there's nothing on it. It could have been this, like, just another version of the same blow poke, like. This is, yeah, check this out, though. This is really interesting. This is what I was trying to get to, actually. So after the trial had been over for about three weeks, uh, the DA's office received a call from a federal prosecutor's office. Someone had received a call from a lady in Vermont saying someone named Michael Peterson had ordered three blow pokes before Rudolph introduced the blow poke. They said that this lady sent us the shipping order and credit. Um... And apparently the timelines didn't appear to match up, but requests the DA's office and clerk's office made last year uh, to view that the receipt were unsuccessful. The article said the order was made before the blow poke showed up in the court, but it's not clear that that is accurate. But anyways, it said two pokes, which cost eighty two fifty each, were shipped by overnight air on September 29, 2003. Mm-hmm. The pokes sent to Peterson were new ones made in China, not antiques, she said. So they think that maybe... He replaced it. He replaced it. Right. Let it get which old, is possible. Leave it somewhere where they would get, you know, spider webs and shit. Right. And then be like, oh, look. I'm, I think I would believe it more if, if it was like hidden underneath some stuff or something. But the fact that this thing was just sitting out there, like, hello, there's no way the police missed it. I just don't believe that. I think he's, I think he staged it there to try to prove, it's, look, it's there's seen, nothing on right. it. There's no dents in it. There's, but you, you don't even know if that is the one. We don't know. I mean, he could. You could have easily have multiple ones. He could have ditched the one that he used to murder her, mm-hmm. and then had these others on, you know, ready to go. And what? Who just buys two blow pokes with overnight shipping? <laughs> Stop. So if you that was to poke your fire that bad, if, come right? On. Exactly. Come if, on, with overnight air desperation, like desperation. get it here now. I need it here now. And I need two of them, even though I have one fireplace. Maybe, maybe if Michael planted that, maybe he thought if I maybe if I present, if all of a sudden this blow poke shows up and it's yeah, you know, supposedly the murder weapon. The prosecution is saying that maybe it'll help my case. Yeah, and maybe he acted like, oh no, I can't believe they found it. It's going to ruin it for me. But maybe in his head, he knew because we can show that there's no proof that they this was used. There's right. no dents. There's no the cobwebs. He no was DNA. very adamant about all that. Yeah, remember how he was acting? Like they show all this in the staircase, by the way. Yeah, of them literally the day they found it. It's like, really house. interesting because Michael, like, he was acting bizarre. Just wasn't like, he? yeah, he just was like, like I can't believe I can't think this is going to be good. 
but he doesn't seem like that worried about it or he's not like, you know, I don't know. He just acts very strange. I think throughout the whole thing, it's very None of them bring up the fact like, why don't you guys think the police found these? How, you really think it's just been down there? Come on. That's just, I can't even, I can't even begin to play pretend on this. There's no way that they missed that. I'm sorry. I just can't see it. I just can't see it. There's an, if that was there, they would have found it. It's, it was literally sitting in a corner. Like, yeah. there's yeah. just no way. I no think way. he planted it thinking it would That's help fishy. Him. That's but really he was fishy. trying to act like, oh, this is going to be bad for me because it makes him look even more guilty if they're like, oh, look, they finally found it. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's so weird. So weird. Um, Something else that was... um. So when we get to the Alfred plea, um, Kathleen Peterson's sisters, Candace and Lori, were extremely outspoken about this whole thing. And they did not want... They didn't want him to get out of jail, but they, they also didn't want him to get a new trial. So they were actually... In because the DA said that they were going to go with basically what the victim's family wanted to do, and it was Candace and Lori that actually agreed to the Alfred plea as long as Michael admits to murdering Kathleen Peterson, mm-hmm. which he sort of did, but not really probably the way that they would want him to do it. So, right. Um, Michael later on also admitted about lying about certain things during his trial. When discussing his bisexuality and how this revelation affected his first trial, Michael Peterson admitted that he didn't initially tell the entire truth. I was lying about certain things, he says. I mean, it was part of who I was not trying to reveal. And Peterson talks more about his sexuality and reiterates that his wife knew about his sexual preferences. There's which no is, proof she did. Which there's no proof it's she did. Yeah, And exactly. I will say while he was talking, he was like, I'm pretty sure it was an unspoken thing that she knew. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He, yeah, he never the said, way he oh, said, yeah, yeah, I've told her about 100%. it. We've talked about it. She's Here's when. It. Here's how she reacted. No, 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 no. She no. didn't know. She did not know. No. Yeah, he really did try to to play that up as like, oh, yeah, she, it was cool. It was like this totally like kind of unspoken thing we we had. Yeah. But Rudolph implies that the police worked with the prosecution about the murder weapon. He actually does. And he says that um, the tool was missing for weeks, but was found and entered into evidence toward the end of the trial. It was found in the Peterson's garage covered in cobwebs, which the defense pointed to as evidence that it wasn't really the murder weapon. But during Peterson's 2017 case with Eccles, who was the uh, attorney, um, or Eccles was the new DA at the time, his attorney, David Rudolph, revealed that there's another reason to be suspicious of the fire poker. The alleged weapon was found by the by the police two days before the prosecution came up with its theory. Though he doesn't completely make the connection, Rudolph hints that the police may have collaborated with the prosecution. Which is why I'm confused. Can you explain that in your own words? What? Uh, <laughs> the police found it two days before the prosecution came up with its own theory. They found their they found the blowpoke too. Yeah, I think they did, didn't they? I th- I think I remember hearing to remember. that too. They like had found one, or I'm so confused. There, There's yeah, so much sketchiness. Yeah, the the whole blowpoke thing is is weird. But I think he, I think he's just more hinting at the fact that he thinks the police may have you know planted evidence because of the whole thing that we talked about earlier with the photographs and everything. I think he just was reiterating that he he thought that there was this idea that there was some conspiracy between the prosecution and the police kind of working 
together to produce this evidence. Mm. He, but he says that the he's talking about he's talking about it. Yeah, he's talking before. right. He's talking about um, because they presented the blow poke as the evidence. So he's saying that two days before um, that they found it. Yeah, right. So how does he know that? Yeah, I don't know how he knows this, actually, because that would be a really big deal. That would be a really big deal. Huh? Interesting. But um, Michael Peterson had a book deal ready to go if he was found not guilty, which is interesting. Because he was a writer, and many have said that his ego is the one that craves a spotlight. So it's possible that he thought that this was going to be kind of a slam dunk for him. And maybe, you know, if this whole financial motive was in fact correct, he was going to get Kathleen's um, life insurance. And then he was also going to write this book if he got acquitted, kind of like OJ did. It's almost like it's some similarities to OJ. Don't you think? Yeah. So, and the fact that once, and some have said that there was this deal in motion, but as soon as he was found guilty, they retracted the offer of the book, which is not totally unheard of. And we've seen that before, but it's interesting. But this was something that we wanted to bring up that was in the, in the docuseries that was really just chilling, honestly. Kathleen's sisters actually went to Michael's college library and they actually were able to dig up some old writings uh, that Michael had done. And again, he's an author. He writes novels. So this could be completely just made up. But he talks a lot about murder, about death and killing. It's it's very like violent stuff. It's very interesting. Yeah. From what? Sorry, I'm just trying to confirm this. It sounds like the police found a blow poke back in June 2002 in the boiler room, took it outside, photographed it, and then hid it in the garage where it was later found. Well, that's 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 what he's saying. That's, that's what, what the defense that's is what saying. They think yes, right. That they did. But right. Is there proof for that? No. That's the thing about this is there's not proof. Again, it was it was really poorly executed as far as the investigation goes and gathering evidence. Yeah. So, is there a possibility that that could have happened? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But that's I mean, weird. people are going to speculate about it because we just don't know. There's no evidence that, like. There's nothing to prove that. Yeah. Hmm. But that's just, that was uh, David's personal opinion about it. Because it seems like David's kind of buying into this idea that maybe the DA and, you know, whoever else might have had it out for Michael too because of his previous, you know, mayoral runs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think we mentioned this already, but they didn't mention this in the staircase at all is that Michael Peterson didn't remain single for all the years following his wife's Kathleen's death. He actually developed a relationship with Sophie Brunette, the editor of the documentary filming his case, Ah. which is Mm. interesting. Don't you think? (laughs) Yeah. Um, the person who's editing the footage. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, I mean that, that pretty much encompasses the whole thing as far as like what we know. The staircase just has a lot more like personal scenes, more scenes of him. There's just a lot of unrelated crime. There's just unrelated stuff that they filmed and put in the staircase docuseries. Like there's whole episodes that are just like them prepping for the trial, things like that. So I think we did a pretty good job of condensing all of that and putting it into, you know, one episode for you. It's a a lot of stuff. (laughs) Two hours, but it was an over 13 hour documentary. Right, right. So. so after looking at everything and, and just encompassing this whole case as a whole, 
looking at the defenseless theory that it was a, an accident, a fall, to the owl theory, to this was murder. What do you think? I mean, I'm so interested to see what people out there think because I think it's going to be really split. But I, I seriously think he's guilty. I seriously think that. I just don't see a scenario where this would happen twice in this kind of manner. I think it'd be different if the other, if um, Elizabeth Ratliff fell down the stairs and didn't have the same injuries as Kathleen. If there wasn't a lot of blood, she just fell. And I think then I could question it. I, I seriously think that I'm not sure what I would feel if I didn't know about Elizabeth Ratliff. That for me, that just adds so much. Right. Um, I don't know if it's possible to find him guilty based on what evidence there is, but I just feel that he is. And yeah, he's a really, he seems like a really sweet guy. Um, clearly his children love him, uh, but that doesn't make someone innocent. And, you know, we, as we know from history, like look at Ted Bundy. He was like, everyone. Yeah. Loves some him. of the most charismatic, like, you know, people that everybody loves end up being like the worst, you know, the worst ones. Like, right. You just can't, you can't, it's like, you can't judge a book by its cover. You don't know his internal contents. You don't yeah. know what, you and know, what secrets he has. That he was keeping secret. So we definitely know he's capable of like keeping a secret. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I just really think that at the end of the day, I just think about Kathleen and how unfair this was. And I just can't come to the conclusion that she fell like 100%. I'm more convinced of the owl thing. Or even a random intruder, I guess. But there's no evidence for that. But I guess the owl thing. I mean, what do you think? The owl. So the owl thing makes a lot of sense for me. It does. Yeah, it does. And especially learning that it is fairly common for owls to do this to sort of thing. People, yeah. To attack heads, too. Yeah. And if you look at the actual injuries themselves... It, it, it they don't look like injuries that could be caused by whacking somebody with a pole over their head. Like, so then how like, does it did like the owl just leave? So, and the fact that it has she has pine needles and feathers in her hand. Like, what is that about? Is that just her to, like grabbing by accident? What was there a a, a bird or an owl at Elizabeth Ratliff's murder too? No, she has the well same that's injuries. the thing, and and that's where I'm like, then that again for me too the whole fact that elizabeth ratliff was found dead at the bottom of stairs just like yeah. is just throws you through a loop because it's like yeah what are the chances like what are the chances that theory, happens i think twice? the defense theory of what happened that she fell like they explained she fell backwards hit her head and then hit her head again like like a ping pong ball it doesn't make sense so that's like for me if you can't even come up with a good uh alternative explanation to him killing her that's that makes it even worse and i feel like if you get attacked by a fucking owl you, there'd be more evidence. Wouldn't of there that. be like, like a ton of like way feathers more everywhere feathers? and stuff? Because like, she's probably like smacking yeah. it, punching it. And that's yeah. what I would do. Punch that owl. But and, I mean, that would explain other injuries on her arm. But like her like but where the feathers? neck strangulation on her neck. Like, yeah, that doesn't yeah. make sense either. Like, and, and how the owl the feathers and then right. the owl just left. He went in the staircase owl and then just was like, side? oh, better yeah. get her get away from this how? crime scene. That I just caused and just like I. I understand like owls talons are really sharp and like little yes. knives, but like I, the, all the blood spatter, it just like doesn't make sense. Like, but it is weird at the same time. How does she, why does she have feathers in her? Oh, 
this but mace it, I, will it, keep me there's up There's a hard floor. It's possible she could have like slipped on her own blood maybe. All I know at the end of the day more. is she did not fall. She did not just take a tumble. I don't believe that for a second. Um, I've, I'm interested to see you guys, uh, your comments. If you do think Michael's innocent, what you think it was. Do you think it was a fall? Do you think it was an intruder? Do you think it was the owl? I'd love to know what you guys are thinking about this because I don't know. At the end of it, I just really can't. I can't get yeah, away from I don't I mean I just can't. And I just think of her and what she could have gone through that night and it pisses me off. This makes me mad. I think I think it is very plausible that he could have murdered her. I think it's very plausible. I think there's enough things, enough oddities, enough the timeline, everything makes sense for murder in this case it really does it just makes sense for murder it just doesn't make sense for just an accidental fall it just doesn't yeah it's just wild man it's it's a totally wild one and is there enough evidence to link him directly to murder probably not probably not i mean manslaughter seems more like you know legally justified versus a first degree murder charge because i like yeah. How do you, how do you, like, that means premeditated murder. That'd right. be like, where is the proof for that? You know, how do we know that? There's not like there's emails saying she's going to like, do well, there's this, a difference here. I mean, we're asking you guys, do you personally think from what you know that he's innocent or guilty? And then again, the other question is, do you think there's enough evidence for him to be guilty in a, in a court of law? Right. Because I don't know if I necessarily think that. Um, someone was, I think it was from Scotland or someone was tweeting me about this and being like, this is why America should have a system that is either guilty or not proven because right. this innocent, it's weird to put him in the innocence box because right. I don't feel that he's innocent. Right. But can we say without a reasonable doubt that he committed this crime? No, the owl in itself is a reasonable doubt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A reasonable doubt. But does that show an issue with our legal system? Yeah. Josh and what? I talked a lot about the jury um, and just like the jury system that we have. And like, is that antiquated? And we, we started talking about what would could we replace that with something else? Obviously, that would probably never happen. But it is kind of crazy that we just put people's lives in the hands of just whoever's Randos off the, the street. Yeah, yeah, literally. It's kind of really uh, old fashioned. And Josh and I were thinking like, what if they had something for high profile case like this or murder all murder cases when yeah. life in prison or the death penalty right. is on the table they bring in experts people who are trained to be unbiased people it's their job to try How to do you be do a that jury that? yeah but still it'd be I know. better than I'm just literally talking off I have no idea if that's even possible or if that no, probably but would in, never happen yeah in theoretical sense that would be ideal right you would want you would want pe- I would want people that actually give a shit about being there yeah. for one I mean but there'd probably be more innocent verdicts, I think, if because they're looking for uh, specific proof versus a jury. I mean, emotion gets into it. You know, people get emotionally invested in things and go off of that, you know. Yeah. Another idea is like, I feel like there's just too many slip ups, too many mistakes being made by the police departments yeah. in these invest in all investigations. The level of our policing is in a not so great state, I feel. Yeah. I feel like, you know, our justice system might work a bit better if, like, our police departments and forensics and, you know, the whole process behind the prosecution just was revamped better. There's more oversight from independent, 
you know, an outside investigation conducted along with the state's investigation. Like if there's some way to, you know, check, check for errors and things like that, because we're just seeing time and time and time again, where evidence isn't handled correctly. The crime scene isn't preserved. There's so many things that get fucked up because people just don't either care enough about their job to do it right. Or they are literally, you know, doing this in a malicious way in order to mm-hmm. help like what could have happened in this case mm-hmm. where they are attempting to just help the prosecutors close cases and win cases right for them for them Versus to make them look biased, good yeah. right exactly yeah. and i think we need to figure out some way to revamp that i think there needs to be but like again there's it's just a overall bigger problem is like there needs like we need to make right. policing more of like a smart thing versus like i'm a big dude that you know wants to be a cop yeah and i'm speaking this from my own experience like i think you know the testing should be harder more rigorous you should there should be more certifications i mean if they have certifications for computers and technology it should be continuous education and learning how do you preserve a crime scene doing more audits just Mm -hmm. the audits i mean they had to do they finally did that audit on the blood uh splatter unit and found all of those misrepresented cases. Imagine how many more of those are out there. I bet there's a lot more out there. So I don't yeah. know, just my thought, but I think we have a major problem. And unfortunately, if you ever get in a sticky situation with the law, you know, sounds like we use your right to remain silent. <laughs> Absolutely. That's like what we're coming to the conclusion with every podcast is like everything. We just need to like fucking start off. <laughs> we need to completely start over. Yeah. So, well, thank you guys for joining us for today's podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, if you're not watching your it, opinion. Um, comment, subscribe, like. I definitely know, want to know what you guys it. think. For sure. Definitely want to know what you guys, yeah, thought and of this one. that's it for us today, you guys. But thanks for joining us. We, we will, will see, see you, you next time. Next time. Stay